Well, unless you've been living under an absolute rock, you already know that Black Friday is coming up and Formula Drift is no different than any other brand. They've got stuff on sale. This sweater here, not this exact one, but one just like it is $23 off. So you can save up to 30% right now by going to shopfd.com, taking a look at the merch, take a look what's there. Tons of hats, skateboard decks, sweaters, t-shirts, all that fun stuff. No toques yet, but you can get something almost as cool and get a big discount on a bucket hat. So head over to shopfd.com, get your Black Friday sales, and maybe your discount code also works. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Outer Zone, the official podcast of Formula Drift. My name is Jacob Gettens, and we have Brian Eggert on, uh, one of the judges, one of the yes. three or two or four. I'm, I'm not sure where we're at right now. Yeah, it's a little sticky situation right now of uh, who is and isn't a judge, but... Uh... Yeah, I've, I've got some news, but I can't really share it right now. So uh, I'll, I'll leave you with that uh, teaser. How about that? Man, <laughs> talk about starting strong with that. Damn, damn. Uh, I, I was. I've heard. I've heard some rumors going around. I have some selections. Okay. Um, yeah, I. I think what's going to end up happening is we're going to do like a full rumor podcast oh, because be there's a lot going on this off season already. Oh yeah, between and, that uh, RTR and some other teams, it's great. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, some rumors of guys coming over from other places. You know, guys from our end going to other places. There's a lot to talk about. So I think I think a dedicated rumor podcast is what's needed. Oh, totally. But you're you're sticking around, right? You're not going anywhere. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't gotten a a pink slip or whatever they give you when you get fired. So I haven't gotten that yet. But you never know. There's still a few months till uh, April. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I behind, it's funny because like on the live stream, you're you're not the most like outspoken. I think, I think Lantane kind of like covered a lot of that while he was there because yeah. he became like the spokesman of the judges. And I'm curious if that's going to be you. Yeah, I don't know. I tend to talk a little bit fast. So uh, I think that's part of the reason they've, they've not had me on there probably. <laughs> I just usually run a little bit uh, hot. And so people, it's funny, I'm from the South, but most people think I'm from up North, just the speed I talk and everything. So yeah, uh, I need to work on that and keep talking a little bit slower. It's, I find myself doing the same thing where like, I have to, like, I have to like think that yeah. I, about talking slower. Cause if I don't, I'll, I'll just, I'll whip through everything really quick. Yeah. Jared gives me the same crap about it. And just like, you need to slow down and just take a deep breath. He's got, he's got to breathe. You've got to breathe, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're sticking around. It's been, yeah. it's been cool kind of getting to know all you guys on a, on a more personal level and like kind of hang out a bit more. So yeah. when, uh, when I heard Lantane was leaving, I was like, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, we finally got some time to hang out together over, you know, all these years knowing each other. And now you're, now you're leaving me. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I feel the same way. I, it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good in a way that it's, it's good to swap it up. I mean, the, you, you know, as much as, as anybody, like the, everyone's got their opinions on judging. So I think just having some sort of change up will maybe shift the conversation a little bit. Yeah. No, I was actually putting together like a spreadsheet of all the different judges from day one and I'm still mm. a little shaky on the first two, three years. I'm trying to fill in the gaps because I'm not sure if the ones did it were the full season. So I'm going to have to go back and watch some of the DVDs and see what I can find. But starting with like, yeah, and it, after that, it was pretty consistent with like yeah. long time people in place. But there's still been quite a few judges over the years. So I'll try and put that together and share it with you. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I remember, um, I think it was Tony Angelo talking about like they ran stats on like judging decisions. Because like there's always that like bias thing, and and after running the stats, Tony was actually harder on his friends yeah. than than people he didn't know. Yep. So I th I thought that was kind of interesting, like ov almost overcompensating for an inherent bias. Yeah, and I kind of did the same when I came on because it was like I'd seen these guys that came up through my series or whatever that driven on the East Coast for so long. It's like you know what they can do, and then when yeah. they didn't do it as level, you kind of dinged them harder, which was kind of 
the, the hardest thing I think to get over when I first became a judge was just not making put everyone on a level playing field, no matter what, and just look at it for what the value was right there on the spot. So that first year was definitely a steep learning curve. Yeah, I think that's that's got to be the hardest part. I've even known, uh, like on my end, there's drivers that I just know better, like from from experiences I've had with them, and just trying not to talk about them more than other drivers, or like trying you know share the amount that I, I talk about drivers is yeah. is like a conscious effort. Yep. So, but I mean, that's good. I, I don't think there's, I, from what I've seen, there's no inherent bias up in the judging booth. You guys yeah, are not anymore. Critical. Definitely. I don't think there was in the beginning either, but just like it's, if anything, I, I probably screwed some of my own drivers from the East Coast more than they should have got screwed. Kind of like Andy screwed the DA guys, probably. So it's like it worked against them. But you know what? In the end, I think it all evens out. But definitely now we've got it kind of like a smooth old machine. Everyone's pretty good looking at it. I don't think there's any bias whatsoever. And again, you've got to have a majority rule. So the chance of having two out of three being biased against someone, even if there was one person biased, I, it would get trumped by everyone else. Yeah, I think so. Or you would you would kind of notice it um, maybe a little bit more. You could run stats on that and oh, see, definitely. see a little bit more of it. What, what are your what, like? What's your take on the potentially running five judges? I know that's a conversation that's been had for years. Uh, I mean, I kicked the idea around years ago, even like at a, a different level, like because kind of how they do the Olympics and other sports. You have a whole bunch. You drop the outliers, the high and low, and then you kind of take that average. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in a perfect world, that would be great. The cost for it is just insane. So like one, trying to find people that have that kind of flexibility with their schedule that can do it because it's not a full-time job and then finding people that are qualified and then finding people that are actually good at it. So it's like, it's, there's a lot of steps to put that thing together. And I think that's just part of it. Who knows, maybe another 10 years when FD hits 30, maybe that's something they'll look at it doing, but um, it is a neat idea. And we've tried to play around with it some in the past and done some other things where we've had like judges actually out. I think one of the XDC rounds or something like that, we played with it where it was such a big track before mm-hmm. we had like access to drones and everything, like we had judges that were remote out on track and kind of radioed in, oh, they hit the center clip, they did it with this much angle and kind of advised the other three. So it was almost like a five-panel person or two yeah. with two on the field. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think now that we've got enough camera, we've got enough drone, we've got replay technology, I don't think that would solve that particular yeah. issue. But yeah, but, even in qualifying, I think if you had nine, would be a perfect number. You use three for, like, if you went back to the old style of line angle style, you could do three for yeah. each category, drop the two outliers, and then keep the middle scores and get a pretty good median average. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that would be, that would be good. That'd be, once again, the, like, the logistical nightmare. And I oh, think yeah. the parts that people don't think of is, like, like you said, the schedule, the travel, the lodging, and then even just, like, trying to fit everybody in the booth in Orlando. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. You can't. Yeah, that, that you that just can't. There's room for, like, one or two other people, and that's it. Uh, barely. Like, that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, it's it's all those situations that I don't think a lot of people just they just don't have the the knowledge to understand that like there's so much more to this than just like yeah just make it so oh totally right yeah um, schedules alone I mean I've learned so much about scheduling people just with the show like yeah. just trying to find people last minute life happens and it's like just yeah trying to get one person in the same room as me or you know electronic room if you will yeah. uh, is is a nightmare let alone booking nine people. And getting them to all the rounds. Yeah. And knock on wood, we've been lucky so far. I mean, Ryan missed one event, I think two years ago, he missed New Jersey, or maybe it was last mm-hmm. year. I can't remember which. He missed New Jersey. That was the first time he'd ever missed one. I haven't missed one yet. Um, Robbie hasn't done as long, but he hasn't missed any. I, I don't think Andy ever missed any when he was a judge either. So, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of events to not miss miss a weekend or whatever. What, what do you what do you think of the more or less the evolution of judging throughout the years? Like how, how it's changed with either technology or insight into drifting? Like where do you feel we are now versus where we were before? Uh, I think we're, I mean, if you go back and look at judging the first couple of years, you can find videos online. I mean, I think the way we judge is definitely 
more critical. I think the drivers are way better now. I mean, like you can do back just five years and the amount of skill that has improved over the years. I mean, I used to think five years ago was awesome. And now you look at <laughs> now and it's like, I can't wait to see what five years from now is. I mean, the guys now are just insane. It's amazing what they can do. And even when you look at other series, there's some other talented guys that are around the world that can do amazing things as well. So all those series, you go back and look at it and it's like, the vehicles have progressed, the drivers have progressed, and the judging has progressed. What we ask for sometimes is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. But these guys somehow managed to go out there and put down really similar runs to I mean, think about scores that are in the low 90s. That's nine-tenths of what we're asking for in a perfect run. That's really good. I mean, even if you think about people get 70s, I mean, seven-tenths is still good for what some of the stuff we ask for is just, it can be done, but it's such a hard thing to do that it's amazing what these guys are able to do out there. Yeah, that's that's a solid point. I mean, we do... We do ask for perfection yes. in every run, and then it's like we just, you know, deduct from there. Which, yeah, which, which is interesting because, like, in the in the drivers' meetings, like that, you guys are pretty open. Like, yeah, we know what we're asking you to do is impossible, but you're the best of the best, so figure it out. And sometimes there is a person who does that perfect run, and yeah. it's like if we didn't ask for that mm-hmm. perfection run, then we'd have scores that were over hundred because we'd be like, here's the bar, and then these guys <laughs> would go and pass it, and we'd be like, oh, we didn't think of that, so now we're getting yeah. out 105 or something crazy, or you'd have a bunch of scores that are hundred but they wouldn't all be a hundred runs because mm. some would be like a hundred, 304, but we don't go above a hundred. So it's like, you'd kind of water down that top, that top couple percentage points. So that's why I think it is the way it is. And, um, in regards to like the technology and everything, I think a lot of it's good. Uh, there's still some things I think we can improve on. Uh, I'd still like to have an in-car. I think that would mm. be really helpful to us. Just not to watch every run, but just when there's an incident. So you can kind of see what the driver's reaction is, what they did in the car. Did they yank a ton of e-brake? Did they, turn in and actually cause the spin, like stuff like that, I think would be really beneficial to us. But I think all those women and everything is going kind of in the right direction. I don't want it to be totally automated where it gets rid of the actual human component of judging. Um, but I think like we're in the right direction to just start making these better educated decisions when there is an incident or contact or something like that, where we need that extra information to kind of make the correct call. I, I, on that note, like I 100% agree about the in-car. I think there's so much that you can learn from that. Um, understanding all the data, like the data, like the inputs. I know that's something they've been kind of playing around with for the last year, especially. Yeah. And I think we're getting there. It's not, it's not perfect by any means yet, but we're like the progress is being made. Uh, personally, what I'd love to see is like maybe not DOS per se, but something oh, yeah. of that, some of that ilk. Um, yeah. but what I'd like to see is an entire event done where both judges and a system like that are running. And then once the event is over to compare the notes, that way you're not making corrections based on its information during the event itself. Oh yeah. No, that would be very cool. Yeah. I, I, I think just with driver inputs and all that stuff, but yeah, I agree. The the in car would solve a lot of debates from from incidents over the years, right? Yeah. And I mean the funny thing is most people like driver wise aren't that upset with like the calls we make during him. It's funny, it's more during qualifying. Like they're mm. like, oh I got a 77. I should have had a 79. I looked at this other driver's run. Like it's funny how particular they are to qualifying than they are to actual tandem. Like we'll get more questions and and kind of scoffs or whatever for the score they get for something that's relatively important. I get it. If you're off by a yeah. point here or there, generally it's only going to adjust you a little bit in the bracket. And sometimes it can have huge implications. But at the end of the day, like the tandem is where it's at. I remember back in the day when it used to be just top 16, a lot of teams would just be like, I just want to get into the tandem show. Once I'm there, I'm good. I can win on tandem battles. I just need to get into the show. Now yeah. it's 32. And we sometimes have more than 32. We sometimes have less. But again, it's like you really just want to get in the show. Like if you can stomp, a big stamp on it and be like, I crushed everyone and win qualifying, go for it. But if not, get in the show, middle pack, whatever, and then just work your way through the battles and just win by tandem. 
And yeah, some guys are better at tandem than they are at qualifying. Yeah, for sure. And there's some guys that are better qualifying than they are tandem, right? That's they're they're yeah. great lead drivers that, you know, their chase is, is something they still need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I will say, I mean, like when it comes to, I, I think the, this year in particular, <laughs> a lot of the protesting and arguments comes down to these finite rule book things that don't exist yet. Like it's these weird situations that have never occurred. We've never accounted for that. Like we're still developing and that um, I maybe just because I've been in the booth this year, it seems to be that this was the most we've seen of it. Yeah. Where it's just these strange situations where we're like, how do we even account for this? Like we've never even thought this could occur. It's funny. It happens every season. And uh, somehow we have to change a rule here and there or whatever and, and make it work for the next time. And then it might not happen again for a decade, but it, it's crazy. Some of the things that we never thought would happen, happen. Like, I mean, Novak's roof peeling off that time. Like never in right. million years would I have thought the roof skin would have come off a car in the middle of a competition and it happens. But I mean, and before that was like Pat Gooden's door coming off completely when he was boring Matt Field's car, right? Like yeah. there, there was a, where that also created the debate where it's like, did his door open or did it come off? Like, is that, now we're talking about, you know, minute legal wording essentially, which then now we get into the Chelsea Denofa hood flap thing, right? Yeah. Where it's like, is it closed? No. Does that mean that it is open? Not necessarily, yeah. right? Like, you know, technically the the opposite of closed is open and Correct. that hood was 100% not closed yeah. because part of it was open. Like it's, it, and it was interesting just being around that entire debate, which that situation itself lasted hours and hours. And oh hours. yeah, like, no, it went through. Still going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to this day, <laughs> yes, truly. But yeah, I mean, it, it went on all through halftime and everything. It was just, that was, that was a mess. So, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Well, I mean, I, I look at situations like that as like it it makes us rethink a lot more than just that rule itself. Like I found myself going back to the rule book and going through and like, okay, what other situation is like this where we have one side of it, but there's ambiguity between what the opposite of that would actually be, right? Yeah. So it's like, do we make it where it's like, okay, 25% of a panel can't be open? Well, what happens, you know, when a rear fender comes off? Like, yeah. is that... So. But again, how are you, you going to consider 25%? What if they only have three hinges on it, like the front? Well, obviously, you can't use the factory OEM latch yeah. on it. But again, there's different ways around it. I mean, there's always going to be a way to, to word it just right, correct, or whatever. It just depends on how, how much you want to die on that thing to, to really argue your point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, there, is there any rules in the rule book right now that you feel like we need to like, kind of just, just correct right off the bat? Or you're kind of uh, like, I never it seems like with this the one? big thing this year was the... Uh, when you're transitioning and your wheels go straight, obviously they do <laughs> it for a split second because you're transitioning and going a different direction. But when it's extended, people are just losing their minds sometimes. Or like if a car would wash out on the bank, wheels are perfectly straight, but the car technically is in drift, but it's also out of control because the front wheels that would normally steer you are also sliding too. And mm. I think that's one of the big ones where I think we need to come up this all season a better way to clarify it or kind of find a way to, again, either keep it the way it is where it's an incomplete or find out a way to make it a really huge deduction. But uh, I think that's probably the biggest one we ran into this year was confusion between drivers, teams, and even the fans. Mm. Yeah, it, it kind of became, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we joked about it, but it became like this constant like theme of like, hey, what is drifting then? Oh, like, totally. And, and I mean, it came up over and over and over again. And, and what, I, what I have gleaned from kind of hanging out and just more or less being, you know, a bug to you guys all year is just that it's, it's constant. Like no matter what, we're doing as a group, we are talking about how to develop and change and improve everything that is FD, which I don't think a lot of people truly recognize. They think like, okay, your your weekend is over or, you know, you're clocked out for the day. 
Like you guys obsess about quote unquote work yeah. constantly. Oh no, we've got a group where we all just chat among the judges and we kick ideas around or like if this happened after the event, we're like, what do you think? Did we make the right call? Did we do this right? We'll go back, review footage. We'll have drivers and teams shoot us emails and say, here's cut from our runs. What do you think we can do to improve? Or where did we lose that? Or mm-hmm. do you think this is really what happened? Whatever after the event. So, I mean, we spend a lot of time on it, even in the off season. It's like we go through the whole rule book with Sage and Kevin and we, we kind of figure out the different rules that apply to the judging portion of it. Where do we want to go? Move on from there. And then eventually Kevin will release the updates and hopefully the teams don't lose their mind by the time they get to Long Beach. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I mean... I've been slowly just like creating TikTok videos about rule updates because I think it's something that like gets updated, gets changed, and then we just kind of like, okay, well, the drivers know, but the fans don't know. And there's yeah, been times yeah. where things have been updated and the fans weren't aware of it and they get mad and like, well, we've already changed for this, right? Yeah. So, and again, that's another thing with the sport. If we change things in the off season and someone didn't pay attention, they watch the event the next year and things are completely different than what we were doing before, it's it's it can be a lot to to relearn, especially like go back to the extreme where we had zero cones and then we got away from them because we went too far in one direction and then we kind of sway back the other, which is definitely a lot better. But things like that just totally, uh, I think, kind of make it good because the fans have to stay interactive to understand what's going on with the sport and changes. But then again, if you have someone who's maybe like not totally immersed in the sport, but mm-hmm. a casual fan, they might come in and be a little bit lost. Yeah, I, I mean, there's the obsessive like myself and and probably a lot of the people that that you know listen and watch the show, but it's it's communicating that to the casual fan that, is it's not easy because yeah. a lot of it's just like for us it's exciting for those people they just could not care yeah right like it's boring so it's like how do you communicate that you know maybe we weigh things like mirroring heavier heavier than proximity now whereas in general everybody thinks okay well the closer the car is the better they're doing it's like yeah but that's that's been changed for you know kind of a number of years now the the way that that judging has evolved yeah so it's yeah, it's tough. How do you like? How do you convey? When do you convey that? Do you do that every single round? You're yeah. like, okay, we're going to take two minutes to to run through the rule book <laughs> and let you guys know what's going on. And then you upset the fans who've already heard it. Like I know, like when we start off the each round, you give them kind of a rundown of what it is, and it's like the diehard fans are like, oh, this again, and they kind of tune yeah. in a little bit later. But then you have the new fans who who probably really appreciate it and learn from it, and it's a good thing. So you got to kind of walk that balance. But I think we do a pretty good job of it. Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I think. Yeah, it's it's just tough. Like I, yeah. I don't know how you cater to both audiences. It's it's always I don't know, it's always difficult. Yeah. We almost need to have like a a pre-show that's like FD for beginners and then like, you know, everybody else can just kind of more or less tune out or do something else, make some, you know, make some drinks, get some yeah. <laughs> get some, yeah, totally. some chips ready to go or something like that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I, You're trying to give yourself another job. I man. <laughs> I'm already too busy. Speaking actually speaking of too busy. Uh, you might be one of the only people I know of that is busier than I am. Uh, what What are you up to in the off season? Like, uh, I still do a lot of the stuff. I mean, I run events, even though it'll be cold. I have uh, my next event's going to be, I think, January six or whatever that Saturday is. I mean, I just do events almost year round. So we'll have a drift event here in Richmond, Virginia, and then we've got one in February, March. And I remember last year it was like in the twenties or thirties. So I went out and bought propane heaters, and we were using them at grid. But we just try to drive as much as we can to do events. So. Sometimes we luck out, we get a 60 degree. Sometimes it's cold. Um, then also I do, uh, I work with the guys at Drift Indy. We put on a thing this year called Drift Appalachia. Yeah. So we've now been able to kind of shut down uh, public roads in two states. We're going to try and do some more and we can throw some cool drift events on some mountains. So a lot of that goes out to uh, Derek King out at Drift Indy because he used to do hill climbs. And so he mm. met these guys and was like, hey, is this something we could bring out for drifting? And they were like, let's look into it. 
Um, and I met one of the state senators actually at SEMA six years ago that helped pass a law that allows you to do this. And so the one we just did a couple weeks ago in West Virginia was the first one that would ever used his law in order to do it. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, no, those things are fun. So uh, I'm going to be working this off season to plan for next year's events. And then let's see what else we have. The FD rule book. I still do other events to kind of help pay the bills. So I work as like a product specialist for high-end luxury brands. So next weekend, I think right now I'm supposed to be in Florida unless they send me somewhere else to do uh, an event down there in Palm Beach. And then I've got some other stuff down in like January, February in Miami. So I'm just constantly doing pretty much anything motorsports related. I mean, I grew up wanting to do that. And so anything around cars, I took the fastest way there. Looking back on it, I probably should have just got a really good paying job so I could buy these cars. (laughs) But since I can't, I try to do anything that involves me being around them, car, uh, the nice luxury cars or being around drifting and doing it. I mean, at one point when I have time, I'll build my cars back. I've got partial of a 318 that I share with three other guys. I've got, hmm. uh, this is my third or fourth Toyota E6 Corolla that I've got, but it's just a shell right now. I got to get a drive line back in it. And then uh, we'll see what happens from there. But it's mainly just, I don't have enough free time. Yeah, I've I've heard that you've you've got quite the collection of parts and wheels for eighty sixes. That there there may be. I don't want to like blow up your spot, but I, don't like, know, I think fine. I, I probably need to unload some of them. So yeah, I probably got I don't know probably dozen or more sets of wheels for them that I've had. Just when I bought the car, I got them. I had ones for my original Corollas that I've just saved. So I've got a ton of that. Uh, a lot of OEM parts for it and everything. So eventually it'll get back together and it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean it'd be it'd be nice to nice to have right the yeah. the original. I wouldn't say like the original drift car, but like it kind of is. Yeah, it's definitely probably one of the most popular ones. So, and the way people are wrecking 240s lately, I mean, there's few and far of those. I mean, it was a time where I could go to the junkyard and grab anything I wanted off a 240. I could grab the Crow part. I mean, people would be amazed at what we did to Crow's back in the day. My roommates cut up one and we turned it into a grill. So it's like, uh, we just cut it right behind the firewall, lifted a hood, set it up so you had a grill rack in there and had it outside of our yard. Somebody called the county, they came out and the guy from the county was getting ready to like tell us we had to remove it. And then he's like, oh, it's a grill. That's pretty cool. You guys can keep it. <laughs> and so uh, we cooked a pig on it, did all sorts of things. So yeah, we probably ruined more Corollas than we should have. Jesus. Did you did you make a, a trailer at a one too? Uh, no, that was probably the one. So we had the fr- uh, axle on and everything. And then I think my buddy, he was the one that towed it and cooked a pig on it. Oh, okay, so, okay, yeah, yeah. got it. I wasn't yep. sure that that was the same one or you had two separate yeah, ones. No, same one. We had another one we threw in the back of a truck just to take it and get crushed for scrap. I mean, just, uh, there were so many Corollas back in the day. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, sitting on all those parts and stuff like that, it could be, I mean, it could be a barn find for somebody, you know, 40, 50 years down the road, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're going for. You're like, okay, this is, this is my, I, I'm not going to be able to retire. This is my daughter's inheritance. I'm just yeah, going to yeah, make yeah. sure you've got. <laughs> yeah. Problem is finding people that want to pay that much. They're around, man. I've I've learned it over the over the time. Like, um, I have a, a Mazda protege, which like they're slowly starting to come back in value, which oh, is there you wild go. to me. Cause like it's a car that like, you know, they they kind of hit popularity 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And then they've just faded away, mostly rusted away. But <laughs> uh I'm starting to see the prices go back up and I'm like, all right, cool. I, I got in at the right time. I'm yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, nice. <laughs> uh, uh. um so yeah, on the on the kind of like we kind of touch base on some of the history of drifting. Why do you think it is so important that the newer generation of drifters understand the history of what they're getting into? Um, I mean, a, a lot of things have been done before that people might not know. Uh, a lot of these guys kicked down a lot of doors to make things happen. I mean, we started out drifting. It was ninety nine, two thousand. There weren't anywhere to do it legal, so we used to go to industrial parks on the weekends mm-hmm. or whatever. We'd get kicked out. My buddies actually got escorted out of Durham and were told by the police drove them to the city limits and said, don't ever come back to our city. 
Uh, <laughs> my buddy ends up living right around there now and lived there for a while. But yeah, like we used to just do stupid stuff like that because we didn't have a place to go. Right. Then uh, a guy here in Richmond uh, was throwing an event called Hyperfest in like 0102 and had a drifting competition at some point. And we were like, oh, this is cool. I had to work, unfortunately, and missed the very first one. but haven't missed one since. But we had people all up and down the East Coast, from Florida all the way up and down. I think people from California. I think Grassroots Motorsports had the old Sig- Signal Auto uh, 86 Corolla. They brought it out. Um, and then there was drifting there. I think some of the DA guys were there originally as well. And it was just, we had a legal place to do drifting. Um, made friends with the guy who was running it out of uh, the National Auto Sports Association, Chris Cabetto for the Mid-Atlantic. And he's like, hey, I'm more into road racing. This is cool. I just want to kind of do it to kind of bring young people into motorsports. And drifting's like the hot new thing, but I don't have time to do with this. If you guys want to, go for it. And we were like, oh, cool. We can start doing more drifting events and do it legally. So, of course, we're all in college and we're like, let's do this. And then next thing you know, my hobby turns into me watching, uh, comes a job. And then my job is now watching other people enjoy my hobby. <laughs> um, and so, like, this whole idea of let's throw events so we can drive more backfires. And we drove, well, I drove less because it's so much work to put these events on. And back in the day, um, the other big player that was doing them was Drift Association with Naoki and Taka and all them out on the West Coast. So we worked with them the first couple of years, putting Vince together. Um, they were doing theirs on their side. We were doing ours. Um, we were sanctioned by the National Auto Sports Association. Uh, then we slowly started having other people reach out to us. Hey, we want to do it in our region. So then we started setting up chapters. And I think right now I've got nine or 10 groups that work with us that we help put on, uh, get the insurance sanctioned their events for them so that they can do drifting around the country. Um Talking that we're still doing it. Then, uh, I guess uh, around 03, January, uh, Tony Schultz out of Atlanta, who used to come to some of our, I mean, that was the thing. Back then, you drove eight hours to go to a drift event. I remember driving my Corolla to Beaver Run in Pittsburgh, and it was like, if I wreck this thing, I'm just going to scrap as much I can off of it, throw it in someone else's car, and I'm just going to leave it on the side of the road or whatever. Like, it's just, it's done. Because uh, we didn't have trucks and children. Everyone just drove their cars to events. And so, did that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, so Tony had told us that there's these guys coming in. They were going to come let him test the track because he had already tested it right before then. He did the S's and everything. He's like, they want to test turns 9, 10 or whatever going up through the bridge. He's like, you guys want to come down. So uh, me, Mike Snyder, the, my buddy Jerry McGovern lived in North Carolina, uh, Ben Schwartz that used to spot for Gucci and actually drove mm-hmm. way back when as well. He was there and Tony Schultz who drove an FD. Um, so they all went. We tested the... I took a film camera. That's how far back this was. Uh, so I borrowed my buddy's dad's uh, SLR, went and took film photos of this. It was like in January. And then Jim and Ryan were there and that was the first time I met them. Well, they showed up and they didn't even have a camera. So after the event, they reached out to me and were like, hey, we saw you had a camera. Can we get some of this footage? We just kind of want to look at it and see. And I was like, sure, whatever. I sent it to them. And then next thing you know, Formula Drifts got them paving the loop there at Rotoana. And then now there is a pro series. And so... All the guys were excited. I think it was four rounds the first year or two, and mm-hmm. boom, you have FD. So then next thing we know, we're like, man, there needs to be a better way to get drivers into it because back then, I think you just paid and you were a driver. Mm-hmm. So Naoki and them at Drift Association, we kind of put together a thing called Pro-Am Drift and pitched it to Jim and Ryan, and they, they liked it. And so that was kind of when the, the feeder started. Um, we started out just kind of setting it up where there was a... Um, Laughlin, Nevada had an American Rally Association race there. I think it was in October. And I think in 05, 6, and 7, or 6 and 7, they let us do our championship event there with them. And so we ended up getting a couple of sponsors. And then we actually gave people, based on the distance they drove to that event, kind of like X amount of pennies on the dollar for helping with gas. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was something to help. So That's the funny. guys on the, 
the guys on the East Coast benefit a little bit better, but still you're driving 2000 plus miles. So it still wasn't that much of a, a benefit for them, but <laughs> it was cool. So each region, it was, uh, I'm now going to forget some, but it was like Just Drift out of uh, California, which was Charlie and them. I don't even know if they do events anymore. Um, yeah, Drift Association. Uh, there was a group called Southeast Drift Association out of Atlanta. You had, uh, it was called Daily Drifter, I believe, which was like John Yim and them out of uh, Texas, which later I think Aaron Losey would take over that area with Lone Star Drift. Uh, you had, uh, there was another group, oh, Club FR, did the, the Midwest. So there was like four or five regions and we sent <laughs> X amount of drivers. And then this event was cool because it also served as a relicensing event for drivers who were at the bottom of the FD bracket. So if you were like the last few in points, you had your own top 16 that you had to compete in to re-earn a license. So that mm. was going on. We had our pro-am. Um, but you had a lot of good drivers come through it. Turk, I think, went through it. Wilkerson came through. Uh, Forrest Wang did it. Justin Pollock came through. I mean, I know I'm going to forget a bunch, but there was a ton of cool <laughs> guys that came through during those two, three years we did it there and are still driving in FD now, which was kind of neat, or at least had long careers. Um, after that, we kind of... It was so much expense for these guys to travel. And it was also around the time that we hit the recession. We just said, hey, let's keep it small and do regional events and let everyone just handle their own licensing. So that happens. Then a few years later, uh, Drift Indy was helping out do it as well. We met uh, Jim at when they did uh, FD in Vegas. So me and Edgar mm -hmm. flew in there. And we're like, hey, we think there needs to be another tier between Pro-Am and Pro. There's still a little bit of discrepancy in the talent. You might want to try and look into doing something like that. So they kind of liked the idea. And then next thing you know, Pro 2 was built. And I think that launched in 2013, maybe. So then you had that. That lasted for a few years. And then it became transmorphed into, I guess, ProSpec. And that's where we're sitting now. So there's been a lot of progression of stuff <laughs> going on. Uh, I also forgot in there between the Pro-Am Championships and Pro 2, there was also a series called Extreme Drift Circuit, which was XDC. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the guys who originally ran HIN. Uh, they also knew Jim because I think they were college roommates and also worked on the same office when FD got started. So they were like, hey, we sold HIM, but we want to do something else. We want to get in drifting. So they became kind of like another licensing series in those years leading up to like 2012, 2013. So I guess like 9, 10, 11 or 10, 11, 12. And you had Chelsea DeNova come out of there. I think yeah. he won that. Then he came in. His rule was my first year at FD. If I don't finish 16th or higher at the end of the season, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go back. I think he finished 17. He's like, you know what? Close <laughs> enough. I'm going to do it. And then I think next year you had Forrest do the same thing. He got first and they came in. I think he finished 17th. And he's like, he stayed in and did it. So it was neat. It was a traveling series. Uh, had a car show element with it. I mean, it was kind of a neat idea. It's just, it was still a lot of traveling for these dudes to do at that level without a lot of monetary budget. I mean, I remember Chelsea driving his car one time in the back of a box truck and taking it to events. And he used to tow up behind his, I think, X3 or X5 at the time. Like, mm -hmm. But there was a lot of good guys that ripped through there and came through that series as well. So there's just been a lot of different things around the country to get drifting where it is to this point. And I mean, we now have events that take place in South Dakota. Uh, we got a chapter in Montana. Uh, there's events in Salt Lake City, uh, Texas. You've got the Midwest, uh, the Carolinas. I mean, they're just all over and it's neat. So like just where I am alone now, I could probably go to five or six different drifting organizations within a three, four hour drive, where at one time we were driving eight to 10 hours to go to a drift event. That's wild. Like, I, yeah. And that's why I, like I when people complain about events that are like, oh, there's not enough events in my own city or whatever. I'm like, you have no idea what we used to have to go through. Like we'd have to wait two months to go to a drift event and then still drive eight to 10 hours one way and then turn around and come right back. Like, yeah, it's way easier now than it ever was. Yeah. I think, um, one, to hit on like two, two main points, one, understanding 
that history and giving people who are new to the sport that idea of like, okay, understand that where you're at now is because of the, you know, the sacrifices that so many guys and girls made years and years before you. So like, I'm, I'm sure hearing that complaint of like, oh, I have nowhere to drive. And it's like, look, you might only have to drive three to four hours. Yeah. Like that sucks for sure. I would love to, everyone would love to live next to an event. Oh yeah. But understand how bad it used to be and the amount of stuff that had to go down and, you know, politics and drama and oh, yeah. paperwork just to get to the point where three hours is your complaining window. Yeah. <laughs> Way better now. I mean, a lot of these guys, their car breaks. They're just like, oh, I'll go home and get my trailer, come pick it up. Because a lot of guys still drive yeah. their cars to events. Like back then, yeah, it wasn't happening. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are way better off now than we were when we were first getting into it. Yeah. I, I think the other part that this that brings up is is how, I guess, entrenched you've been in the culture for so long and how many different touch points you've had even technically before FD was a, a thing, which which kind of m- makes me wonder, like ad, as someone who has essentially run and developed the longest running Pro-Am, like what kind of advice can you give either drivers or other series uh, about longevity and like how to keep you know, keep everything rolling. I think you just got to keep evolving. Uh, there's always going to be something that's going to change with sport. You can't stay stagnant. I mean, as much as we want things to stay as original JDM as they once were, like things have to change. It's just the nature of the beast. If somebody's going to develop and always do it, you can't just fall asleep at the wheel. Um, we've done all sorts of things. I mean, like we did uh, no qualifying events where you just kind of like a lottery and did that years ago. I think both seven or eight was when we first did one of those. And it was just like, and we like had the double drivers. elimination. Right? Yeah, we've done the double yeah. elimination thing. That's another one that we did. Uh, that one was probably a little bit later, maybe like 16, 17. And that was uh, a neat way to try. Like, we're just always trying to do something different to see how it goes. Uh, we did an event back in 09, I think, or maybe it was, a little, maybe it was around 09 with Drift Indy and the Club Loose guys. We did it at BIR. It was called Quest for the Sword. And it was the most ridiculous event. Like everyone had to pay. It was three days of drifting at VIR. And I think it was like 300 bucks registration or something like that. And we gave out medieval weaponry as prizes. So there was a long sword that was given out for like, I think earliest initiation, which I think Russell Walker out of Texas came up to the event and won. And like, we basically had this long straightaway in a turn. You had to like initiate and then make it through the turn. You had to be within like a foot or two of the actual clipping point. And if not, it didn't count. And I, I can't really have to go back and find out how long it was, but he ended up doing it the best. And we just kept having flags that we would set and the guys would keep seeing it and just keep trying to one up the other one. And so it was really neat to see these people stretch these long drifts out. And so we gave out a uh, medieval sword, I think, uh, for the tandem competition. Uh, I think Hot Property won it, which I think consisted of Wilkerson and, uh, shoot, I'm trying to remember who else in it, maybe Wagner, uh, who's an old FD guy out of PA who does events at Club Boost too. Um, but yeah, I think they went all like ball and chain maces or whatever. And then I think there was also another competition. I think it was just regular tandem cop or something like that. Maybe it was a battle axe or something. And I think uh, Brad won it out of Pennsylvania and had it slammed in the trunk later and welded it to the trunk lid and then drifted the rest of the weekend with this like battle axe. I think if you go back far enough, you can find some of the pictures on the account or something like that. But yeah, it was, it was just a wild event. I think Petty and them wore like loincloths and like, just crazy, like medieval clothing it's and like, like fur vests and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was just it was just a crazy weekend. And, and then at the end of the weekend, after it was all over and everyone actually put on a show and drove, we gave everyone their money back. So huh. it was like you got to drive for free. And I mean, ultimately, that's kind of the goal that I want to do. And I mean, I've been trying to do this for twenty years, but it's just really hard. But <laughs> I look at drifters as like for an event that has spectators. I look at them like a band. So the racetrack is the venue; they're the ones putting mm-hmm. on a show. Nowhere in the country, except for the Super Bowl, does the actual performer pay to perform. 
Mm. Like the halftime show artist pays to perform at Super Bowl, and it's just for exposure. But like the way we got set right now, like these guys are driving, put on a show, put it on. Like I get it, it's racing, whatever. On a professional level, that's fine. It's like any other racing sport. But I think at a grassroots level, I want it to eventually be where these guys can just show up to a grassroots event, registration covered, got enough fans to cover it, take care of everything, and they can just enjoy it and drive free because they're the ones putting on the show. They've right. already they're got enough the expenses. Risk. They've got their yeah. tires. They got travel. They got food. They got crew. Like they've got enough on their plate. Like, and the thing is, entry fees are honestly probably the lowest thing on that table. But still, any bit that you can help and give them back, I think, is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, three hundred bucks could be a pair of tires, right? That's another, yeah. you know, fifteen yeah. runs, ten runs, two runs depends on your car. Obviously. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, it could also buy used parts, upgrade stuff, make it look nice, or help pay for more of your friends to be able to come out to events and help you out. Yeah. Interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting business model. I mean, I think that's, I think, I think getting fans to the event is, is the struggle with so many promoters out there where it's like, they might have incredible driving, they may have up and coming drivers, it might be a cool facility, but the actual spectator part, I feel like is what a lot of these pro-ams still struggle with. Yeah, um, no, totally. Um, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you. I feel <laughs> yeah. like it's blending more than one audience, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we did a, a wrestling belt. I found a company out of, uh, Pennsylvania that makes like boxing and wrestling belts. So we got a real belt made that's heavy and it's leather and it's got logos and everything on it. And we gave those out when we did those shootout events. It was like the winner got it uh, posed up on stage. And it was kind of like the goal was to eventually just put their name on the belt. Mm. And then they would hold it until the next year, come back and try to battle for it again. And like keep either getting their name added to the belt or the next guy would get his name added to the belt. We did uh, also at those events. We did win your weight and beer. I saw, I always look up like what's neat prizes. So uh, there's some European race where these guys like, it's like a barbarian race or something. And you carry a woman who's supposed to be your wife, but basically you run through an obstacle course with her on your shoulder, I've on your back, that. however. And yeah. when you get to the end, you win your weight in, I think beer, liquor, whatever, for whatever the weight of the woman is you carried across. So obviously you could be the fastest and carry someone that weighs 80 pounds, or you could carry someone that weighs 150 pounds. And if you can get through first and you're going to get like almost double the amount of beer or whatever. So we did that one year. It was like the driver won their weight in beer. We had scales, a bunch of beer cans. We did that a couple of events. Uh, I got carbon fiber trophies made similar to like FDs, but we did it with a full open cup so the guys could actually drink out of it if they want. But yeah. you had to buy the dyes and everything to get that. So there's a little bit of expense there. But I mean, they look gorgeous. And I want people to have some like cool trophies so that anybody can win money and you'll spend it and not remember what you spent on. But I want something that's lasting or remembering for you. So you like have something like when you're old, you can be like, oh yeah, this is when I used to drift and won this or whatever. Like, uh, like right there is a video game case. And yeah, that was that. from the street event we did uh, this summer. Like, we the whole season this year, all my events had had like a video game theme. Okay. Um, so like, season poster was outrun, and from there we just did different things. And that one right there was RC Pro Am, but it was for like uh, our street legal series. So like, I just want to give people cool prizes, something that they want to keep and showcase, and and have something with a memory because otherwise you just spend the money, whatever, get parts, use them, break them, throw them away, sell them, and then it's like you don't have like anything other than what you just have on pictures or whatever. So anything that's, that's lasting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I found myself even just now into my 30s, like getting very nostalgic about things and just like keeping stuff around. Like, obviously, I've got like all the knickknacks and oh, crap yeah. around me, but like there's there's weird stuff. I've got, you know, like a, a, a Polaroid that has Kyle Cross and, and Chuck and I on it. Oh, cool. Where I'm like, you know, it's just like, a, it's just a, a Polaroid, like whatever. Yeah. But that post on Facebook would mean nothing to me. But the fact that I have a physical version of it, it sits like you know, on the other side of my office that I'm just always kind of like, oh yeah, those are like, those are my guys. Yeah. So, see? No. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. I think I do. I do think that's interesting. Like developing what the end goal is. Um, yeah. It helps. And I mean, it's a memento that shares and it, 
you know, from a branding and marketing side of things, like it continues to market itself as it survives, right? If that's yeah. around, you can talk about that thing. Yeah. Right. If that's your prize, if you've got that up on your wall, if you've got that wherever, all that it's doing is continuously marketing the event that that was already happened. Yeah. But I mean, even in the short 20 some years that we've had drifting in the US, I still think there's a lot of things that get overlooked. I mean, a lot of the initial years of drifting were all done on forums and forums just kind of went to the wayside. So I think a lot yeah. of information got lost. Uh, even our own form that we used to run, like I ended up trying to like save it, and it's a, just a huge database that I've sifted through time and time again when I have time to like. We were uh, when we did the general Appalachia event, we had like Wilkerson come out, and I had these old pictures of him when he used to attend our events twenty years ago, like before the zombie car became the zombie car. It was like mm. mixed match two forty, and I just had these old pictures. I was like, oh, I need to find one of these because he hasn't driven one of our events in years. It'd be cool, and like I went through the database and just kind of sifted through, it, and luckily found it pretty quickly. But I mean, we've just got so much old stuff that that gets lost because of it. And I mean, everything else for the most part now is either Instagram or Facebook. And other than that, those either go away. Like people are going to lose a lot of stuff if they don't back it up. And it's just, there's not magazines like there used to be. I mean, I still have a collection of magazines up here from like whenever we were involved with drifting that would get them, whether it's local or it was like a, a there used to be a magazine called drifting and that was it. Like yeah. it was cool. So like you had neat stuff like that where you actually have something to keep, but like there's, there's only a few players now. Like you have PAS mag, you have uh, S3 magazine and then look, I'm already, running into like trying to think of a third magazine that's somewhat relevant to drifting. And it's just, it's hard to find stuff that's in print. Do you think, like, unfortunately, print is a very difficult thing to keep sustainable. But like, do you think we're due for that again? Like a kind of a resurgence of, of that type of thing? I think if people want to invest the money and do it, I mean, I'd probably buy a subscription if somebody put a print, like dedicated just strictly to drifting now. Like back then, I was a broke college kid trying to go to drifting. I mean, we were pulling yeah. tires out behind Sam's Club or Costco. And just mounting like used tires. So back then, probably no. Now, probably yeah. I think the fan base is bigger now where I think you could probably get away with one. Even if you just did one kind of quarterly or even semi-annual to get it started, I think would be a neat thing if you made a really nice quality one. The problem is, is just everything is instant. Like back in the day, I remember looking at magazines for SEMA. You get pictures of the cars. But now, I mean, you see the pictures Monday night, Tuesday morning, and you already know like half the show. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, okay, cool. Like everything's just instant. Uh, that's fair yeah I mean it's kind of like COVID too like once COVID hit people kind of took back from SEMA a little bit They're like why are we spending all this money we could just spend it on actual like content and other things to help boost sales it's like because they all just started interacting with each other through email teleconferencing whatever it's like is that need still there will it be there in 10-20 years I don't know like even they're trying to redevelop themselves letting fans in actually allowed now they're adding SEMA Fest like there's all sorts of other things they're having to, to re I guess do themselves to make it so that they're relative again but I, I think that goes back to your point of like always having to evolve. Like that's the the secret to to longevity is like you can have nostalgia, you can have history, but you also need to have evolution and and momentum moving forward in order to to stay relevant and to stay, you know, even growth or just staying flat, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like some of the old guys might remember like there used to be a Falcon Drift show off, which was awesome. It would travel around and just be a competition or whatever in certain cities and have a car show. But that was a neat fun event. Like I wish yeah. things like that would come back again because they were just really easy. They were in a big parking lot usually at like uh, football stadiums and stuff, but it was just a fun, relaxing event. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think we're, I think we're due for something. I, I feel like we're, we're very much on the precipice of something big or different or something changing. I don't know why I get that feeling, but it, it often feels like you, you get these like dips like we've had and then you start to feel the momentum build up and then something happens, something changes, whether it's a driver or a rule or a technology or an event. And then, things kind of pop off again for a few years and then yeah. you kind of stagnate and then come back down again. But I feel like we're, 
very much on this upward trajectory right now. And I just don't know what that next thing is going to be. Yeah. No, if I, I did, I'd invest in it, but... Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a couple of neat things for Drifting next year. I think I think everyone's going to be pleased with like the judging panel. I think uh, the talent that will be next year, driver-wise, I think is going to be really exciting. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be good. Uh, I think... Uh, let's see what else. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to, walk, I'm trying to walk really fine it, dude, lines. It's so, to not, it's to not so give hard. Details, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I am excited for next season. I think it'll be good. I am going to miss Ryan, but I think we've got some neat things in the works that are going to make next season good. Uh, from FD perspective, outside of FD, I think uh, the mountain events we're doing, I think just mm. the amount of response we're getting from people, uh, the interest in it, I think is huge. I think uh, that's going to be a blast. So we'll probably have a couple FD guys hopefully come out to some of those events this year too and have that kind of crossover. But those are neat. I mean, I've had people who came to those events and like, you've ruined regular drifting for me. Like I can't go back to a normal track. I can't go back to an oval or road course, whatever. Like this, the rush, the excitement, the, just the event. The it danger. Was just, yeah, yeah. Like just everything about there, like you've ruined regular tracks for me. Like I don't even want to do it anymore. Like I only want to do these events. And it's, what's neat also about that is we never have to go to the same track ever again. There's so many miles of roads. Right. It's so like each one is unique. So it's like those 30 people that drove at the last one, nobody will ever drive that road again technically legally unless we decide to do it again because there's so many other places we can go and do different things so it's like that was a once in a lifetime event and i think that's kind of what's neat and what's going to change things is because people keep going to the same local track and you kind of get bored it gets stale whatever like it's just it's the same it's been that way for a decade two decades Mm -hmm. whatever some tracks you can change and add different courses whatever but for the most part they're relatively the same these are going to be every single one's going to be different and i think that's what the coolest thing about it is could you see FD doing that? Like a proper, like actual on the street? Uh, I kind of pitched it to Kevin and we were doing like, hey man, I think we should do some fun stuff. Like uh, me and Ryan used to do uh, an event out in Colorado, usually in like January, February. And it was like an ice driving event for a luxury yep. brand. And I was like, hey, we should try and do an FD off season. Like even if it was only top eight, top 16, like we literally built a one mile road course and you could drift it and do whatever. And I'm like, this would be awesome to just do drifting. And even if you had just a little bit of grandstands for fans or maybe just make it select. It was in a ski resort town. Like there was mm-hmm. plenty of lodging. There was other activities to do. So it's doable. Um, and then I was like, same thing with this. I was like, Hey, we should do like an, a secret stage or special stage or like uh invitational event or something and kind of work it into the FD schedule where if you had extra drivers want to do something, this would be a neat, exciting event. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't heard anything back from them. So <laughs> I figured I'd run it by him first since he's the tech and safety guy. And if they're cool with it and, Sage or one of them want to reach out and do it, we probably could. But for now, it's going to be mostly just grassroots guys and a few pros here and there to get to have some fun. Yeah, I, I honestly, the moment I saw the first footage, I'd like the immediate FOMO was crazy where I'm like, oh. how, how do I get down there? How do I make this work? Like logistically, I couldn't, there was yeah, nothing I, I could mean, do. I had so much on the go, but. I don't even know how to describe it. Like even just being there, putting the vent on and running around and doing stuff, like it's just such an adrenaline rush. And like, it's just, it's what I've missed for the longest time. I mean, even though it's legal, it's safe. We've got EMT there. We've got the road <laughs> shut down. Please. Like everything's all in place, like a normal event. But driving Some. it, yeah, we, we try to do as minimal marketing on it as possible to keep it so it looks like it should. And I mean, it's just, it's wild. Like it's just, you're, the whole time you just pinch yourself, like, I can't believe this is actually happening. I can't believe this is real. Like, what is <laughs> going on here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, the guy we had doing the lead follow cars, like once he was done with the track, because you're constantly driving over the lines to try and apex and everything. He's like on his way back to the hotel. He's like, I kept wanting to keep driving over the lines because he's like, I haven't had this much fun in my car, like on a regular road. And I don't know how long, like even on mm-hmm. track. So it's like, it just opened up things to people that they either haven't experienced 
been a long time. And it goes back to the same thing before. We used to street drive. We go to we didn't do it like on public road, but we did it in uh, industrial parks or whatever. Like there yeah. wasn't an option for me to go legally drift at that time. Then there was, and then we stopped doing it. We went to legal events. We went to parking lots, track. I mean, I've done we did events for the longest time at a mall parking lot. Like yeah. we just rope it off. Police would come park and watch us and just have a blast. And we just drifted in a parking lot. And we were allowed to. And we just gone through everything. We've done it at airports. I mean, we did a demo one time for Fast the first Fast and Furious at a mall in Maryland. Like we've just done it in all sorts of random places, but it was all legal. And so now we have this ability to do the mountain stuff legal. And it's just it's amazing. Like it's it feels like it's illegal, but we're allowed to do it. It's safe. Everything's under control. And it's the best thing we've done, I think, ever. So it's just it's wild. I think we, but I think we've all done it. Like where we, like what I mean by that is like, we're driving down a road and all we can think about is like, oh my God, if I could drift this right now, oh, yeah. I would be, I have one in my head. Like there's roads that I grew up driving. Yeah. I you kind of grew up in like Northern Canada and same thing, very similar, like Appalachian roads, big granite crests. Like you're just driving through the forest. I'm like, man, if I could lock this road down and just do a single take on it, like, holy shit, oh, like, yeah. that would be perfect. Yeah. So yeah, getting to like unlock that, you know, that, that, fantasy is is nuts yeah and i mean hopefully we can spread it and do ones on the rockies and the west coast and pacific northwest and and let everyone enjoys because it's just it's a neat thing so i'm hoping i have enough time this off season to really kind of make it work and and do this because it's it's just wild and the guys over at drift indy edgar and Derek, i mean they've just put in a lot of effort to get this where we are to be able to keep going with this and make it move so stay tuned there'll be a lot of exciting stuff Oh man, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely keep me in the loop. I mean, if if there's a way I can make a trip down, I'm a hundred percent there. Oh, that's, totally. that's nuts. Yeah. Um, can you explain to me why high chew is a superior treat over Starburst? Oh my goodness. Are you kidding <laughs> me? Have you ever talked to Rachel at the uh the ticketing office will call? She'll she'll agree with me. Oh, high chew is just good. Uh I don't know. I've always just liked it over Starburst. I mean it's softer. Starburst yeah. you kind of some of you bite into and then you're kind of locked in there. But uh yeah, high chew is just a softer, better. It's a premium it's, snack. Starburst just has a better marketing team and that's it. And yeah, I, I choose so. the, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, <laughs> when, when landing in Formula Drift, is it more important to find good Mexican food or a good acai? Ooh, I would go always when we land, it's Mexican. Okay. And then the next day, usually for breakfast on the way to the track is always acai. But yeah, nice, I, I can yeah. probably much tell you, like, I probably can't remember all the names of them, but I can pretty much tell you where the, the best Mexican when we land, where we always used to go and find find a place to go. Uh, I think that stems back from XTC days. Mm. Um, we used to do those and we'd always go find a place that was like a pupuseria. So mm. uh, back then it was uh, my buddies, Mike and Mike, uh, Petty from Coblus along with Tim. And then we also had uh, Chris Forsberg and we had Jared. So it was like kind of the same team always going to these uh, XTC events. And we kind of just started going to Papusa all the time. So then they actually, while we were at Seattle one year, did the Papusa Posse and all got tattoos. <laughs> and so if you ever see Jared or Tim or Petty or Matt, uh, ask them and they've got, I think most of them have it on either their arm or their shoulder. They've got Papusa tattoos. I didn't have a tattoo at the time and I wasn't going to make my first tattoo of Papusa, but I helped design it. So those of you from the 80s might remember uh, a movie with John Cusack. It was, uh, I think it was One Crazy Summer. And there's one where uh, he was like a basketball player hoops and he had work in this kitchen and he's got these little burgers that look like California raisins and they got arms and legs and they're dancing. They're like playing, everybody gets some. And the guy's cooking them. I'm like, oh, you could turn that into a pupusa. So they like design instead of the burger, it's a pupusa. And then like someone's taking a bite out of the head and then the filling's coming out and it's kind of the hair. So <laughs> they're neat tattoos. If you Google it, you could probably just Google pupusa posse. And I think Jared used to run a fat lace 
uh, blog, and I think you can still find it on there. That's amazing. So, I, yeah, yeah, that's. I definitely have to go back and, and take a look at that one. I didn't realize it went that deep. I feel oh, like yeah. I've seen that tattoo though. Yeah. Well, Jared yeah. sometimes takes his shirt off, so you'll see it. It's on. I think I, his is I on his shoulder. Can't confirm. I, yeah. I have seen Jared shirtless more than see. once. So. <laughs> Um, so as somebody who is known for being notoriously stubborn, can you explain to me how that stubbornness literally bit you in the ass uh, hiking up the bridge to nowhere just before our, our big party this year? Oh, man, stubborn. What did I do? I can't remember what I did that was stubborn when we did that. Uh, I, mean, I didn't, remember didn't want to get your feet wet. Uh, oh, so I, was, oh, I was just trying to be funny. So there's like, you cross the creek like four or five times and they have these old guidelines. And I went up to it and pulled and I thought it was tighter than it was. And that was going to be funny and do like Spider-Man and crawl across it. And as soon as I grabbed it, it just dropped and I just slammed my back in the water and got soaking wet for the rest of the hike back. Perfect. So yeah, that was just me trying to be silly and it backfired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're definitely I definitely known to be very serious, but also a, a very silly person. I've uh, tapped into uh, a lot of the audiences to get some some good stories about okay. you from, from Hyperfest and things like that. Oh, yeah. Although, I, I, the one that pops up and I need some explanation on uh can you explain why you would leave hyperfest to go see a concert and maybe explain what concert that was uh you must have talked to chuck it, it, it was it was not taylor swift or whoever he said it was it was uh i mean i grew up in the 80s like most of my favorite bands are from the 80s uh so they do this event at uh, pasadena it was a uh, cruel world fest and there was a ton of bands on there that i wanted to see and i bought the tickets way back when i think before they even had that I think it was like a year in advance. I actually think I bought them when we did Erie Speedway FD that year. I okay. think me and Ryan were on a hike and then the tickets went on sale and I just went ahead and bought them for the next year's event without even looking at the date or anything. And then after I did it, I was like, oh crap, it's Hyperfest weekend. I was like, you know what? Show runs itself. I bought tickets for the Sunday show. <laughs> the event's pretty much on repeat at that point. So I only have to really run the drifting anyway. So it was like, my staff is awesome. We've been working together for 20 years. So I knew they could handle it. So I kind of Irish X'd it like, four o'clock on Saturday and it was like right there's only another hour or two left of the track and so like they took over I snuck out funny thing is most people didn't even know it until I posted pictures the next day that I was in California because I had other people <laughs> message me like later going hey man I'm sorry I didn't get to see you and say goodbye I went ahead and left early Sunday morning or whatever I'm like hey no worries it's fine I'll catch you next year or whatever like but yeah most people didn't even notice but yeah it was a show I wanted to go to and apparently every year they keep doing it the same date as that so I didn't get to go to it this year and I probably won't get to go to it again so at least I was able to squeeze it in. But I do like going to music concerts, so any chance I get to go, I'm going to go to one. Yeah, the, the prevailing rumor is that it was Taylor Swift. And yeah. until I can confirm otherwise, that's the I mean, I'm going to go that's with. a lot of money for this ticket. I don't think I can afford that. They don't pay I me mean, enough. back then, though, I mean, I think it was a little It was only better. two years ago. I think she was probably still expensive. Yeah, definitely I have, cheaper I have now, been though. to a Britney Spears concert, though. I uh, I almost went to uh, Katy Perry during SEMA. She was playing at Resorts World, and uh, there were seats available, but... Uh, <sighs> I thought about it. I did See? think about it. I was like, I mean, yeah. one in Rome, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw Dead Mouse at Seymour. Uh, well, it was, it was at an after party at Seymour somewhere, one of the clubs. I can't remember which one, but we remember seeing him there one night. That's pretty so, cool. I'm not, not my scene, but yeah, like, not I'm still either, going. But hey, yeah. yeah, but like, why anything. not, right? Yeah. yeah. When in Rome. Uh, <laughs> Today, we have something kind of neat. I was able to poke and prod Ryan Sage a little bit and get you guys uh, some savings on some cool merch. So, use... Code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20% on any FD merch. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever it is. You can't get this sign. That's mine. We're not getting that one. But basically everything else, use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20%. Rep some FD shirts, some hats, whatever. And we'll see you out there.
Um, so, so being a, a former or a current member of uh, Kappa Sigma, can you tell me what you took away from the Lambda, Lambda Zeta chapter and applied to the parties that you throw now? Oh, geez. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, we used to party. I wasn't sure if that was like the, the, the log and the nail thing started. Oh, uh, no. Actually, you know what's funny? That, uh, that stump, I stole that from uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Elijah Wood on, uh, or not Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, man. Horrible. Um, what's his name? Does tonight show Jimmy Fallon? So if you oh, go Jimmy back Fallon. and watch an old episode, they were in helmets and everything, but they did it on his show once. I think like his first season or second season, and that was stump. And so yeah, I stole it from uh, from Jimmy Fallon. I give him credit uh-huh. every time someone asks. I didn't invent it. It's apparently used over in Europe too and everything, but it is a fun game. Uh, but yeah, no, we play that a lot. It's good. Uh, let's see, what did I do? I don't know. I still shotgun beer, so it could be that. <laughs> um, I'm pretty fast. Funny thing is. I was at an event in Europe and, or no, I was at an event at Hyperfest at some point and a guy from Europe was backpacking across the US, came to the event and he just kept beating me and I was hammered. So it was like, it took me a while to catch on, but he's like, you're doing it all wrong. He's like, everybody, and I'm going to give up my secret now, but everyone takes their can and they're like cutting it with a key or whatever. And you gouge it all up and then you go like this and you risk cutting yourself and you spill in beer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why you do it that way? He's like, watch this. He just pops the top, gets ready to go. And as soon as he lifts it up, he just sticks his key or knife in and just shanks it and it works fine. You just drink like a normal can. Hmm. And I'm like, how funny people go through all this extra work to like cut and cover and you do that and you almost never lose. And you don't Interesting, because you're already primed, and, ready to go, right? You just yeah, start like, to I can just take the beer, just tilt it up, drink, and you just rip the back bottom inch or so from the bottom of the can because once it's inverted, you just pop a hole in it and it just drops hmm. it down. Smart. Yeah, I can't think of what else I would do. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't haze anybody, so it can't be that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I don't have any pledges or probies, so it can't be that. I mean, it's got to be something I would, drinking. Related. I would, I would call Chuck your probie because I know he's going to listen to this. I think, uh, I think he's. No. I think See, he's we we tease him with that, but actually, he's a sumo speed probie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, only only a few will get that joke. Do lo- yeah. I do love Chuck? Of I mean, as as a former member of the media pit, uh, yeah. he was definitely definitely a great guy to hang out with. No, he's a good guy. He's fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of fun. Um, can you can you tell me the origins of Lookout and Hey Man and and the stories behind those? Uh, so Hey Man is Robbie's thing. Uh, Lookout was started with uh, originally it was me, uh, Mike Snyder and Jeremy McGovern. Mike actually took it from Lookout Records. So anybody used to be in a punk or whatever, they don't exist anymore. But that was kind of where he got the name from originally. So we just called it Lookout Drift. Um, did that? Uh, met Charlie Tyson. Uh, he was Heyman, who lives in Northern Virginia, and he started coming to our events. He was a Corolla guy. Then uh, later on, find out like I had gone to the, uh, Robbie's first event at I think it was uh, Wall Speedway because I actually used to shoot pictures for FD the first year too because we had a couple of drivers who competed. So I would go there with my buddies, dad's SLR, and go take pictures. And I was a media team member, so I've been all over the place for FD. It's just all over. So we did that, and uh, I remember taking a picture of Robbie or whatever, and I think I sent him a picture recently of it where he was driving the old truck. It was, uh, I think, was it Overboost? It was a team yeah. orange truck. But yeah, uh, so yeah, he had that first truck, 240 in FD. And uh, yeah, uh, Charlie, Crow guy, still comes to our events and everything, but he was in Hey Man with Robbie, and they've been like best buds ever since. So it's kind of fun to have the kind of cycle between the two over all it's, these it's years. It's amazing. Amazing how many of us come from the from the media pit at some point in time. Right? Oh yeah, I mean, funny thing is, I lose a lot of media because of two reasons. One, they see how much fun everyone's having driving, and then yes. they get a car and want to start driving. Or B, they go on to bigger and better things. Like I've lost a few guys to JR's team over the years. Uh, other guys have gone on and done big things too. So it's like it's funny. Like 
we'll give anybody a start because we need people to come, but it's like such a high turnover for like media people at a grassroots level because there's not a lot of money. These guys don't have a lot to spend on them. And we, I try to in every driver packet too, like say, Hey, if you want pictures, buy them from this guy or whatever that we work with a lot to try and help them because any little bit helps. It's a lot of time doing it. I get it. I've done it once. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the media guys either get burned out, they realize there's not much money at the grassroots level, or they start driving and doing other things. So it's it's a high turnover at that at that level. Yeah. No, I mean it's good. I think you you've kind of built a career in in promoting people past what you're doing, which is interesting. Right. Whether it's media or the drivers programs or you know, I mean, so many, so many amazing drivers that come out of programs that you've run. I mean, I feel like that's maybe what your calling is, is like you know, your job is that, is that, that little lift of like, okay, you know, this is the, you're going to, you're just going to rest here for a moment yeah. and then I'm going to help you get to where you need to be next. Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, it's yeah. great. It's always cool to see people go on and do bigger, better things. And, and I still follow a bunch of them, friends with them and you see the content and stuff they create, their media, if they're drivers, like it's, it's just awesome to see the things that people can do. Is there a lot of dedication? Yes. Yeah. Um, is there a driver in particular that's maybe running through your programs that you're excited or people aren't talking about that should be talking about? Uh, we do have. So I, I've had quite a few young kids over the years come through. Uh, not all like driving our events. Like uh, technically Sorensen's more of like a Vegas guy for Vegas Drift with Nick and those guys. He drove a lot of their yeah. events. But when we did the shootouts, they came across the country and drove and he was young. I think him and his sister were both under 18. I got them approved and they would drive Nick's events. And then they came out and he did well at one of the shootouts and won it. Um, but even then I've had a couple other, I've probably had a dozen kids under the age of 16 that have been able to drive. Uh, we've got a guy now who is 16. His name's Jacob uh, Duncan and he is pretty good. He's yeah, it must be the name, right? Uh, something. I mean, he, he doesn't have a teal car, see from green, but he does have uh, a blue 240. Uh, nice. I, I liken him akin to kind of Dan Savage. He's very okay. similar. Um, uh, He's fluid. He learns quick. He's very dialed in. I think uh, if he makes the right decisions here in the next couple of years, you might hear more of his name and everything, and, and get to see him. He's he's quite good. Hmm. What, what do you think? What do you think causes the burnout that that we've seen? I mean, this is and this is every sport. Like, I don't. When people sit here and they talk about drifting, like, oh, there's all these people that come in and leave. I'm like, look at any other major sport. I mean, yeah. uh, obviously, I like I, I mean, look at hockey and stuff, but yeah. First thing is always money. If you don't have it, you get burned out. I mean, there's an old uh, famous racing book. I can't remember what it was, but in the Ford, it said something like, there's three rules to racing. Like first one was money. Second one was talent. Third one was money. Like you just have to have it. Like, and if you don't have it, you need to find a way to get it or, or do something, sell yourself. I mean, there's people like, um, if you want to ask, like Kenny Wallace from back in the eighties, nineties. Like, I don't think he ever won an NASCAR race. If he did, it was Mm -hmm. maybe one, but he made a 20 plus year career out of it because he was a character and he figured out how to sell himself. Guaranteed he was going to be at every race. Guaranteed he was going to put on a show, whatever. Just wasn't going to guarantee that he could win it because you can't guarantee that. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of these drivers need to learn is you can't guarantee finishes. And I think some of the drivers in the past who weren't quick to adapt to making videos or doing stuff like that in actual content have kind of fizzled away from FD. If you notice, almost everybody has their own type of content they create at some level mm-hmm. now. Where five, 10 years ago, there was drivers who literally only had positions with partners based on how they finished the season, top 10, whatever. And right. I think that isn't possible nowadays. Like you have to be able to brand yourself and do stuff because you can't guarantee what's going to happen. You could blow a bunch of motors, you could get wrecked out, whatever. Like you just can't guarantee you're going to finish in points. And I think a lot of those guys would beat themselves up, get stressed out over it. But then you have other drivers who seem like they're having fun. They're a little bit more relaxed because they're just going to create content and show up and, and if they win, they win. They don't, they don't. Yeah, um, I do. I, 
I think that that is such a massive part of it that we don't talk about enough where it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't guarantee results, but you can guarantee content or deliverables in that case. Yeah. And you still show up if your car's broken, you still show up and put on a show. Uh, I mean, uh, Mike Power did it at Irwindale. He didn't drive, but his car was there. He was there. Like he still went through all the things that you do. And I think that's a a good example that people should kind of look at and see. JR did it after he totaled his car at Texas. His car wasn't able to, I think that was the first round he ever missed was Irwindale because it was right after Texas that year and he still showed up. He still put on the show. I think Angela did it back when he was competing as well. Like there's just, you still show up and make all these things. You just don't stay home and not show up to events. Because you also have fans who bought tickets months in advance expecting you to be there too. So you don't want to turn those people against you by not showing up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very true. Uh, um, I mean, it sucks, but yeah. if, you, if you have to do it, you got to do it. Yeah, I get our grassroots level. Uh, we always had uh, pro, I think we used to say, I'd have to check it. We changed as the rules went along and everything. But like at one time it was, if you were in top 16 and pro, you couldn't compete in our events. But if you were 17 and higher, you could come compete against our pro-am guys. If you beat them, take the money, prizes, whatever, didn't matter because we wanted them to compete against those people because if you got your license and went on, that's who you'd be driving against anyway. So why not uh, get your butt kicked at a way easier entry level of, of money and then figure out if you can beat them or not, or if you're worth it. So like for a while there, we had, uh, I mean, in the first year or two, JR was in FD, like he competed in our events. And then I think right before he got the Mustang deal, maybe 05, 06, he's like, all right, I'm not going to compete anymore. Like, it's whatever. Like I'm on a whole nother level, which he was. And I mean, he, he would have won everything back then with what he yeah. had. Um, but yeah, like later on we had like Stonebeck and Savage and uh, we had Troy Manners and we had a bunch of guys who all were competing in pro two, but we would let them compete at our regular events because it was good to help lift these guys. You drive better when you drive against better people. I mean, just right. even guys who come in that first year or two of FD, like they'll even tell you like the learning curve is just like straight up. Like we just never even, did this where we were at. And I've had people in the past who bypassed our series and drove in another series, got a license, would go to FD and last one or two rounds and then drop out. So just because you can get the license doesn't mean you should. We used to have a thing with ours that said, even if you win our series, if we don't think you deserve it, we might not give you the license. And people knew that going into it because we didn't, like we'd watched people previously get there and blow a ton of money or get burnt out. And we didn't feel it was right to like give people a false sense of hope that should go there if they truly didn't have the, the means, the skill, the money, whatever to get there because it's devastating to watch people fail. And it, it stinks when you feel like you had something to do with that. Yeah, you don't want to ever set anybody up for failure and, and by doing that, that I mean, that's always been my argument against shootouts. Like I've, I've never been a giant fan. Um, I do think that there's something to it. I do think a driver can prove his ability or her ability or worth. I think there's a lot that you can prove by winning a shootout 100%. What I don't think it proves is that you know how to operate a team over four events. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you can budget <laughs> that one. You can budget four more. Like, you just got to figure out. But the problem with that event is, and you can ask some of the guys who crewed, like uh, Curtis Hall, excuse me, Curtis Hall, who crews for uh, Andy Hatley now, used yep. to do it for Dustin Miles, and they came yep. to one of our events. And afterwards, he's like, this is the most ridiculous event ever. He's like, we were constantly just running around doing this, 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 then you're back up to the line, then you're fixing stuff, then you got to, like, he's like, I just ran so ragged. He's like, it's two comps in one event. Like, he's just mm-hmm. like, it's so much chaotic. Like, so I feel like that puts you a lot. Um, honestly, I don't know. I haven't run a team in it yet, so I, I can't say, but I have to book, like, we've run four and five event series in a season. We've run, shootout. like, I still have to book staff meals, staff uh, lodging. Like, I've done it all for my own staff. So like, I get it, but it's like, if you can do it for one, you can do it for four. It's just knowing how to divide it up four times, really, I guess. 
like as soon as the schedule comes out, I think like I've, I've helped out our guys too. Like I would go sit in to like town halls at FD and then I would share that information with um, our drivers in our own drivers group and be like, hey, here's what I took away from this. This is what you should do. Here's an example, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, as soon as the schedule comes out, if I was a driver for our local pro-am, first thing I do when I see a schedule is book hotels that give you free cancellation because the price yeah. is only going to go up as the event nears. So first thing you do, as soon as that schedule drops, boom, book your hotels for the days you need. No cost at you yet. Send an alert to remind you to cancel it before the cancellation date and lock in that cheap price because you don't have to pay for it until you actually check in usually if you pick that option. You might pay a few bucks more now, but it'll save you in the end if you break and don't go to the event. You can cancel whatever and you're not scrambling. But yeah, lock in those hotels. Plus, there's not many hotels near some racetracks because they're just in the yeah. middle of nowhere. So you want to be one of the ones that get those quick ones early. Um, then you got to figure out staff. If you're doing one of the events where you got to pay for flying and stuff, that's going to be a lot more. But still, again, what I found with that is booking out like seven to eight weeks, usually 54 to 56 days out is like prime time to buy. The sweet spot, yeah. Yeah, and usually it's like a Sunday night after midnight because I think depending on your airline, you can search all this online as well. You, you find out when they drop all of their reservations that are held by... Uh, a travel agent because then the price yeah. dumps because now you have all these extra seats taken that have been now released back into the general public that you can buy. So you just pick up little tips like that. We try to share some of that for them. We don't have many drives that actually buy flights for our series. So it's not like a big deal. Um, this year we tried something new though. We went with the scouting report. Um, ended up not giving anyone a, a license recommendation though at the end of the year. So I think we had a little less than 10 that actually submitted wanting to do it. Um, but yeah, no one we felt was really worth it based on their driving this year to, to really get one. So we didn't give out a license spot for next year from our series. Hmm. I mean, as you said, you don't want to, you don't want to support someone's downfall, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. I'm sure that hurts some feelings, but uh, hopefully you can separate, you know, yourself and, and your ego from it and understand that, that yeah. a decision like that comes from a place of support, not from a place of neglect. Yeah. And there's always the option to appeal and deal with the petition board with Kevin and whoever else is on it and yeah. and see if you can get in that way. So people have done it in the past and it, it works. And so there's that outlet. So you don't always have to take the first no. There's plenty of ways to get in. There's, there's yeah. The, the first no is, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people where like if someone's like, ah, I don't think so. I'm like, ah, well, let's, let's just keep talking. Let's figure yeah. something out. Yeah. Huh. That's, I, that's, yeah, it's definitely an interesting take on it. I do like the tips and tricks. I think that's something that, that information shouldn't be held. Like, yeah. I, I feel like we are, we are still holding back a lot from young drivers that we shouldn't be. Yeah. And I don't think it's out of malice. I don't think it's out of ill intent. I just think it's like nobody has thought to pass along that knowledge. But if you work on a team or if you're involved deeper into drifting outside of just attending, you, you learn these things. Yeah. There's yeah. just no like book or YouTube series <laughs> that tells you how to do all this. Yeah. Whenever I see like a, a team that's in FD asking for help or whatever, if it's, I send it to our driver's group. I'm like, hey, if anybody's planning on doing this, here's a chance to go work with the team. I think yeah. the most valuable thing you can do, if you can't do, I mean, obviously if you could do a full season, there's so much stuff you could learn. I think do it. Even if it's got to cost you a little bit out of pocket, it's worth it from what you'll gain yeah. th than doing it while you're trying to learn and drive. Uh, but helping out a team, I think, is huge. I mean, it's it's always so... It's, it hurts when I watch a new driver come into the series and not have hero cards at the first round that they're competing in. And they're just sitting there at the autograph session with nothing but a marker. And then they're signing other people's stuff. Like, it's just... I'm like, oh, nobody told them. Or like, they never watched <laughs> it or saw it. Like, I'm just like, how is this possible? But like, I guess once you see it for so long, you kind of forget about that. And these people don't. Or their local event doesn't tell them about it or any of that kind of stuff. So... It's just, I feel bad when people go like unarmed and show up to this thing and they're just fish out of wire. Like they're just clueless. Yeah. Part of me 
kind of things like maybe maybe FD should like provide some more of that information. But I'm also like of the of the point where it's like, no, you want to do this. No one's going to hold your hand. Yeah. Like that's you're you're here to compete with the best. No one is here to to help you except for yeah. yourself. Like that's that's it. And if you get help, awesome. That's a that's a bonus. But yeah. you shouldn't expect it. Like I'm I'm in both camps, right? Like yeah, I don't want totally. any of these guys to fail. I don't want anybody to come in and feel you know like they they were tricked or they weren't given the right information. But also figure it out. Like if you yeah. want to be there that bad, you're gonna figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I I just think though helping out like. Uh, I've had plenty of guys like Dan Savage who came through and won the first year of Pro 2. Like he went yeah. and crewed for Chelsea, like learned a lot of stuff. Then he was later a spotter. Like, so he's been a crew, he's been a driver, he's been a spotter. Like he's been a lot of different positions. Like I tell my guys like, do as much as you can. If you can do any of that stuff, do it because it's just so much information you can get by being there firsthand. It's so much better than just showing up blind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the more experience. I had somebody message me on Instagram the other day saying that there were you know, messaging pro two drivers to be able to work with and just be like, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of knowledge, but like, I'll do anything. Like I'll yeah. mop floors, I'll yeah. whatever. Just, just bring me along so I can experience it. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. there's always something that you could help out somebody with. Yeah. Just packing the trailer, moving, yeah. moving tires back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Just, just moving uh, tires back and forth is, is huge. Like, yeah. Can you drive a golf cart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you follow simple directions? Yeah. Yeah. So where do you where do you see the the sport going in the next five years? Like what do you what do you hope maybe hope to see the sport does in five I hope, years? I hope it's able to be done live in like a really grand scheme of things. So it's like any other major league sport. Like mm. that would be ideal. Um I know it's tough when you do thirty two. Um I don't have the answer, but I think one way which would be cool is you kinda like tape delay top thirty two. And then even if you cut it a little bit quicker so that it gets rid of some of the BS, you could kind of time it down. And then, it, or even if you just, let's say, top 32 takes two hours. Yeah. And let's say top 16 starts at 5 p.m. But top 32 really starts at like noon or one live. You kind of just tape delay it and start it at, say, three o'clock. And you know, it's okay. going to take two hours. And then it kind of flows seamlessly into the introductions, top 16, and boom, you're in top 16 tandem. And then you've got a now three o'clock to seven o'clock, four hour show, which is kind of like a baseball or football game. So you've got kind of that window that you can kind of put it in a box and make it fit and work. Because um, you could constantly be editing it 10 minutes behind. Like once it's live, you could kind of be cropping it and editing it into quicker format right? as it's running live. And then halftime's usually always an hour and a half. So like if you could kind of time it right and get in there, you could put it into a full production. So people who are there obviously or watch the live stream will know what happened in Top 32. But then you blend right into Top 16. Or you just keep it like it is now where it's on Math TV and you just have a top 16 that's live and boom, we go for it. Um, yeah. They've got some things to help speed it up for next year. Can't talk about them, but hopefully that helps work for us and we can have more of this live action that people can watch and grow the sport that much more. I mean, my hope is that these guys can all make careers out of this and it's something that can sustain it and work for them so they're not the guys that aren't necessarily at the top 10 or whatever don't have to have another job to help make ends meet and they can just focus on their program and then everybody gets a better run of show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You, you don't want to, you don't want to have uh, the show change because someone's not able to afford to do something or, yeah. you know, you have a situation where they're just not able to attend or whatever, right? Like that is so key for the sustainability. There's always going to be scenarios where something happens. that's just unavoidable, but I know what you're saying. Like, it'd be nice to have, situations where the same drivers we start the season with are the same drivers we end the season with, right? Yeah, no, that would be yeah. great. And yeah. if they all just 
had a budget where they could do what they truly want to and focus on that and not just make sacrifices to get to where they are. It would just make their life and the show better. Well, I think the driving would be better. We've seen it time and time again when a driver doesn't have to worry as much about money, we get some of the the best driving we've ever seen. Oh, yeah, totally. Right, Chelsea's a a phenomenal example of that, although I'm sure he... That that seated RTR is not free. Yeah, uh, but but when Despite what everybody point, online thinks, they think oh, they I just know. hand that seat out to people. Hundred percent. Well, if they did, I w- I would already be driving for them. <laughs> uh, I did apply. I made a post a while ago. Yeah. I was I was visiting RTR and I made a post like as a joke. Yeah, being like, oh, like I'm the next RTR driver. I had so many DMs be like, oh my god, congrats, man! I didn't even know you drove. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, money talks. Yeah, if I if trust me, if I had the money to drive for RTR, I don't think I'd be doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> I got to have a backup plan, man. Right? Got to have a backup plan. I'm a, I'm a much better talker than I am driver. That's for sure. I, yeah, I think about you interviewing yourself. That'd be that'd be weird. Just just a mirror. <laughs> that's all this is. I oh, just no, turn you, the, you just ask all your questions and then you film yourself answering them and then you cut it back and you. I just take the hat off and just yeah. hold the helmet instead. And you could get the mohawk back. I could, I could, I still got, I don't, I can't, I can't reveal it because like everyone thinks I'm bald under here, but there is a full set of, full head of hair under here. There you go. See? <laughs> I do, I do like the rumor mill that's like kind of developed around me where people are like, yeah, I've heard he's got no hair. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. See, like you should <laughs> grow it really long now where it's all just tied up in a bun under there. And just when you finally do take it out, it's like down your back or something. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know if I, I don't have the patience for that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, as soon as the hair gets like even close to my eyes, I get really weird about yeah, it. Okay. All yeah, right. but I mean now, like when I had the mohawk before, yeah. I, it it all fell to one side really well. Okay, because it was it was so heavy, yeah. and it man, it was long too. Like at one point, it came down to almost my shoulder. Oh wow, okay. So yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty wild. I know I know you were you were creeping my my Facebook oh, yeah. as well. So yeah, there, doing, there's, doing a, there's a research. few. Either I'm not in your friend 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 list. Like you might have multiple levels, but there was a couple. <laughs> Years where there's like some big gaps in there. So there's definitely some gaps in there. There's definitely some gaps in there. <laughs> either either I, I, you deleted some stuff out or it's been hidden. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything major that I've had okay. to go back and delete. Although I like when the podcast was developing, I had some people go through my socials and I was like, hey, is there anything in here that's like has not aged well? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like one or two things that are like, you were definitely underage drinking. So you should probably get rid of that. Oh, nice. like, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely on there. Yeah. I will I will say your your Instagram feed is is very well curated. You had a, a fantastic habit of just like putting what something was as your Instagram caption for a number of years. Oh yeah, yeah. You're yeah. just that like was, this that was when it was new and it was whatever. Yeah, we're we're all trying to figure it out at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, uh, definitely Facebook. a big foodie. Yeah, you're, oh, you're yeah, a big yeah. foodie though. Yeah, I am. Yeah, food, music, mid-century modern, animals. Yeah. yeah, animals. A lot of lot of animals in there. Yeah. And then yeah. it's tough because they're like trying to keep drifting and personal separate and not spam my feed for people who aren't into drifting. So mm. yeah, it's it's tough to navigate that. Yeah, but, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out what that what that looks like on my end. Yeah, I mostly just do drifting on the stories and stuff for the most part. That's kind of been my go-to where I just like I'll put like big updates on on the main feed and then stories for the rest. Where I'm like, if you actually want to follow me, like you can you can check the stories out. That's where the yep. fun is. Yep. So have you? I know, I know I, I talked to Lontane about it. Like, have you experienced any, any of like the backlash from, from being a judge at all? Uh, I do get it. Not to the level that he was getting for a while there, but I think that's also because he was the face of it being on right. the camera most of the time. So I kind of slid under the cracks, which I was happy with. Um, but yeah, like usually from April through October, I don't accept many friend requests on Facebook <laughs> unless they're like 
30 or 40 mutual friends because then I'll be like, oh, I probably know this person or whatever. But otherwise, it's, yeah, because for a while there, it was just people who just want to yell or scream, kick, whatever, like yeah. just bad mouth. So I was like, oh, it's just easier if I just ignore everyone for those six months. And then in the winter, I'll go back through and I'll, like, I have some people that have been in purgatory for like eight, nine years. And I'll be like, oh man, I feel bad. I should just decline. But then if I, if I decline it, they'll just ask again. But if I leave them in purgatory, they just can't. It just still says pending request for them. <laughs> so yeah, there's some people who've been in there for years. But yeah, it's I'll go through it probably next month or two and add a bunch of people in again. But yeah, usually during the event season, it's just not worth it. Yeah, the chat's I'm, bad I'm, enough. The chat's bad enough when you go back and read through stuff in, uh on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> I was I was keeping it open uh, during the events from from time to time just to like see stuff. There's some interesting stuff that does pop up. There are some people who catch things here and there, but like yeah, it, it's not. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't beneficial no. to be to be honest. Like it was kind of cool in a lot of cases. Like yeah. I, did, I I still enjoy reading a lot of feedback. Uh, I'm I'm still one of those people who reads like every comment on on content that I'm producing for better or for worse. Yeah, but uh, and and like I'll take constructive criticism, but I won't just take like blatant, ridiculous criticism. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and that's where it gets extreme at times and that's just... Yeah. Like, I watch other sports and whatever and I'm like, a ref will make a bad call and I'm just like, all right, well, that was a crappy call and like, my wife goes on but like, some of these people will just like keep messaging you and it's like, it won't stop and I'm like, finally, I'm just like, all right, block, like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, they just won't let it go and I'm like, you'd think you kick their dog or something, like, it's just wild. Yeah, I'm happy we have passionate fans. Yeah, no, me too. There's there's a point. (laughs) Yeah, it, it can reach that point very easily. Yeah. Uh, wh- where are you falling on the debate of like how extreme the cars are getting? There's like those two camps right now. Uh, I mean, I do like Group B Rally. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's what you go to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I think, I wish, my thing is, is I still feel, and this isn't my decision to make or do whatever, but yeah. I feel like pro to prospect should be equal to pro but different based on the vehicle. Like I wish more pro drivers drove in pro spec because I feel like if you look at NASCAR and you take, uh, again, I haven't watched it in years, but I used to watch a lot, but it used to be like you had a monster cup then you had nationwide and then you had truck series crash or whatever. So like you had three Mm -hmm. different levels, like, but any driver could do all three. They were just, one was a truck series. The Bush cars were maybe like 600 horsepower. The others are like, whatever. Like you had yeah. different levels and they had different rules or whatever, but like any driver could run in all three. So the excitement, the racing, everything was the same. Like, it'd be really nice if you had more pro guys that would build pro spec cars and run in pro spec, because I feel like the excitement and everything there is just as good. It's just people need to see a few more big names come into that to help it grow. I think because people look at it like, Oh, I come in. And I think this is where one of the things that people are confused at when you come in FD, I think you can do pro as well right off the bat, but people always just assume it's pro spec and you go that route. Now, the way the rules changed in the last year or two, I think it's different. You have to do prospect first, and then if you place high enough, then you can move in. Yeah, I think it's top but I, five. But, I guess you move, yeah. but originally, you could do either one. It was just whatever you could budget for and make it work. But I think that's part of the problem is like they're looked at as different tiers. Like when people used to call it pro and then pro two, but even to this day, there's still drivers that call it pro one, which irks me because it was never <laughs> pro one. You're competing in the series and you don't know the name of it. Like that, I find amusing. But again, like I think the two should have been even. And they still could be, but like if you had some drivers that could do it, and I think for a while there, Chelsea was debating doing it with his Fox body. Yeah. But the rules didn't make it competitive because it's a 30 plus year old car with like the steering rack or something on that. And I could be wrong. Kevin could probably chime in. And so they were trying to get the rules adjusted to kind of make it so it'd be a little bit more competitive with newer cars. And then uh, 
he just finally was like, nope, I'm just going to modify it a ton. And then I think he did clutch kickers or whatever with it. And now it's too far yeah. gone. But that would have been cool to have someone like him do both because I think it would have been huge for the series because it would have gotten a lot of fans to watch more pro spec than, say, they do. Um, I think the other thing that would be cool to do is if, let's say, you made pro only two generations of a model vehicle. So let's say you took the brand new Mustang coming out and then the current one, which was last year or whatever. And then you, so that's it. 550 once, and 650. Yeah, so, but once it ages out, it's now got to go to something like ProSpec. And only ProSpec could have third generation and older vehicles. So that way, uh, old FD cars could still have a second life and whatever. And you still, and by the time you get to that second generation down or third generation down, like the car is a little bit behind the curve anyway, probably with what newer stuff is. So it's like, it'd be a fun way to do it. So I think that was another neat idea I had years ago. Like, it'd be cool if you made it where it was eventually, obviously the sport, it might be another five years till we could get it where everyone's running a late model vehicle. But that mm-hmm. would be neat because... As much as I like 240s, it's weird to see a 240 competing to a brand new vehicle, like an S550 or something, or yeah. 650 or whatever. So like, yeah. yeah, like to have those mm-hmm. two together, it just doesn't really work. And that also makes it, think about it as a marketing perspective for you if you sponsor the Mustang. It's yeah. a new vehicle. Do you want a 30-year-old car going up against it in your ads? Like that just doesn't really look good. So it's not like you're ever going to use that content to promote your brand or whatever. So it's like if they're both late models, then it's going to kind of make it a little bit more, I think, from that angle. But it would still be cool to have like, prospect because then it almost becomes like a nostalgia series so then you could have all the old s13s you could have slightly older vehicles in it but it would still be good and it would keep the cost down so that people don't have to build a brand new car for it in hopes that they're going to eventually go to pro okay so you could basically inherit yeah it's that 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 pro 2 prospect driver whatever you want to call it like it would inherit that vehicle from the upper classes yeah you can I buy mean, it from those teams or whatever or those teams could then have run that car a second run. team so like once right. your car ages out then you can move to that chassis as well. And then you could run two cars because you'll build a new one for pro. Mm, okay. But yeah, there's all sorts of, like literally all we do is talk drifting. I know, I know. <laughs> it's just, and that's what's neat too. It's been around like, it's like, oh, this has been tried. Oh no, we did this. Like people forget, especially newer people are like, oh, they should do this. And we're like, oh no, we, we did that. It didn't work, but we could try it again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like that idea. That's that's interesting. I think we may see more factory back teams if that's the case. Like Toyota may jump in more. You know, if we're running the new the new eight six, obviously the Supra. I think where it becomes difficult is like not either having that factory back. So now you're buying a very expensive chassis to begin with, like a brand new BMW. Yeah. BMW has been notorious for not backing drifting, yep. which is hilarious because there's drifting in all their ads. Yeah. Um but flood damage cars, they happen. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's I mean, I mean look at look at uh, Matt, Matt Field. Field's new Corvette. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See? New Corvette. I mean, right? Look at that. And that's the thing. You'll you'll be always be able to find those wreck cars. Um, it, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I think being able to have the late model cars would. I think let's say that that five year thing, like you were talking about, like if that's where we're at, at that point, I think yeah. that's what accelerates us to the next level because then you have more companies that come in and want to be involved in something because it just looks newer, more relatable, whatever. Like it's just the thing. Um, I also think like if we can get more non endemic partners, like you go watch X Games or like do tour and yeah. everything like I mean they've got like Vitas as soon and stuff everyone uses shampoo like yeah. there's so many more partners that I think once they realize what compared to what they spend on other events and things especially NASCAR like what they could just spend in drifting would be a fraction of their budget and they would get so much more return I think yeah. we're very close to that happening and I think that would be really cool once that takes off because then it'll help out so many of the teams and the sport itself grow yeah I agree I I, I I know I'm a broken record talking about that. That like I, I think someone actually sent me like an update on it. I mentioned in the Robert Thorne episode where like the catering bill for one NASCAR event is similar to that of an entire season of FD. Oh yeah, I remember. And someone about sent that. me like yeah. a link, and they're like, "This is what the catering bill is," and it was like one hundred ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "Damn, that's 
It would be yeah. tight, but you could run a pro season yeah. on 110,000. <laughs> yeah, but think about a partner like that. That's just what they spend on that for whatever. And they spend it on like the team yeah. or whatever. Like, think what that team could do for the whole season. Like, you just, and that's just one partner. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah, two or three of those. I, yeah. It's, it's so tough. Like, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why we haven't seen it or why we yeah. haven't seen more of it. I, I'm not sure. But I think a smaller tire uh, would be cool too for Prospect. Uh, for our Street League series, we, ra- we used to run a 235 rule for it. Literally okay. a one-page rule book. It was, we tried to make it as basic <laughs> as possible. Then we took it a step further uh, and we did, you had to use the same set of tires throughout the comp. So after practicing everything, but once the comp starts, but this way, because it was unfair to have someone in a Corvette or something bigger run a 235, like mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot to work with. So we wanted to make sure everyone had an equal chance to compete. So we just said, you can run whatever tire you want. It has to be above a certain treadwear. Actually, I think we removed the treadwear too. I think you can run whatever you want. It just has to last the entire event. So once right. your tires are done, you're out. Like that's it. And there could be one more times. It could be whatever. But I mean, everybody was up. Half the people were probably all about it. The other half were like, oh no, this is going to be horrible. Only Miatas are going to win. But we've had a variety of vehicles do it over two years now. Yeah. And it seemed to work well. And it kind of levels you because now you got to adjust how you drive and plan to make it work. So it's just a neat twist. Yeah. The tires think, are an easy way to. to and that's it. a limiting factor with drifting, right? Yeah. It, it always has been, it, it always will be. I mean, yeah. maybe it's something else, you know, later on when we come up with giant, like, you know, six inch tread tires, yeah. but. Or just solid rubber, day. like a forklift tire. I was just like a forklift tire. It's that is like the picture that I had in my head. Yeah. What's funny is we had a circle track that we used to do events at. They told me they get their own tires made, but instead of steel belts, they're fiberglass, but they're not okay. dot league or whatever. But he's like, you can make them so much cheaper. He's like, you guys should just use those. And I'm like, interesting. Well, I know, I know the conversations come up with recaps, right? Like yeah. running, running recaps or something like that. Yeah. Um, or I haven't confirmed this yet, but like the, the uh, extreme tires in Europe apparently are recaps. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not, but okay. Interesting. if they are, they hold up. I've seen them in action. Like they, okay. do, they hold up pretty well. Interesting. Yeah. It could be, that could be a fun one. Yeah. Someone out there just like start, start getting, you know, burnt tires and recapping them at home. Yeah, there that, you right? go. It's like, it's like all the people like reload their own shotgun shells. You just recap and tires at home, right? Yeah, it's like a little safer. Yeah, probably. Just like just like every drifter's just got a recapping machine in their basement. Uh, and they just every weekend you come home, take your tires off, recap them, get them yeah. ready for next week. I mean, that guy that just ran the Baja from Australia, the uh, I saw a picture today where I guess he got a flat tire at one point towards the end of the race, and he just stuck uh, empty water bottles inside the tube and then zip tied them to the rim and <laughs> finished the race that way. Like it's just people will get creative. Yeah, yeah, it might be a little, little tough with drifting. But. Yeah, but you never know. Yeah, ah, should be good. Is there, is there any other like big changes you like to see at FD now that we've got like you know Ryan's Ryan's ear? I don't uh, know if he listens to all these. Yeah, Ryan, I don't know. We'll I wouldn't be out. shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if he did. Well, we'll see if I get a phone call or a text message after this airs. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm always full of ideas and just. I mean, I don't like qualifying. I never have. I think watching single car runs is boring when the whole event is based on tandem. Mm-hmm. So like uh, we did the first couple Gambler events, they did at E-Town with Mike Knapp and them. And uh, we decided to try something new. And we were like, hey, let's do like kind of like skateboarding and stuff where they get like a 20-minute jam session. You just mm-hmm. All the drivers go out there. So we gave them, I think we did two or three run groups and we put so many drivers in each one randomly. And we said, hey, you can drive as much as you want during this whatever session. Or we gave them a couple of sessions, whatever. We said, you got to do a minimum by the end of all the sessions. You got to have a minimum of, I don't remember, five lead, five chase, whatever. And we'll pick the best ones from that and use that to score you. And then we just watched drifting and all the judges kind of put their scores down of what you watched live. It was quick. It wasn't like we're concentrating, but like you just watched the run, like, man, that ripped. So we'd make a note, like this driver, like whatever you did. And we kind of scaled it and put it all together and made the group that way. And it was exciting because it was like, 
I don't know if people remember old days of FD used to have Friday night drift party, which was like after qualifying, everyone out there went full ham because they were yeah. excited. They just qualified or were in the show and they would drive like maniacs. And it's like, you think they're going to wreck the car. I mean, they probably drove harder than the cops sometimes. And it was just always exciting and wild. I'm like, this is what it is. Like everyone wants to watch tandem. That's what the ultimate goal is. Plus, like we talked earlier, some people are good at qualifying because they're, and they're good at, uh, and they're good at tandem. And then other people are bad at one and bad at the other. So it's like this way, what we're asking you to do is lead and follow and be judged on it because that's what you're going to be doing in the actual comp to determine a winner. So if there was a neat way to make that work or something, it would be awesome. Um, I mean, even with the thing about telemetry and everything, what if you only made qualifying determined by that computer just for the jam session or something? I don't know. But like something to speed it up. Maybe it gives half the points are based on that computer just to speed the run of show up for the jam session. But think about it. As soon as the guys are off the track, you send the next two and it's just nonstop tandem action for a three-hour window and that's qualifying. I feel like that would yeah. be exciting. Because you could basically like blend practice in with that. Because I mean, there's some phenomenal driving that happens in practice oh, yeah. that most people don't get to see. Yeah, it's it's um, the final practice before qualifying is one of my favorite sessions. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially these guys someone... are still trying. Like like the first you know first practice or second practice are trying stuff out. They're figuring it out, and then it's like before qualifying, guys are like, I think I know what to do, but I know I need to push it that last tenth. Yeah, and it just it's just wild and unpredictable, but it's yep. so good. Oh, totally. Yeah, and especially yeah. the ones who do it in the last 15, 30 minutes, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you messed that up, and you don't have much time to fix your car. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of crashes that happen just before yeah. qualifying. But uh, most guys are smart, <laughs> where they know they're going to, like, it's going to be a late qualifying for them or something, and then they'll they'll push a bit harder. Like, there's some strategy to that as well. Oh, yeah. But, and then again, if you're RTR, you can fix anything. Bro. Like, <laughs> Orlando, like, when I think it was JR or somebody that time wrecked and then they're like one of the first two cars to like go up and call her. I'm just like, yep. this is insane. Like I do remember some that. of these teams are wild. It's um, amazing what they can do. Yes. And I, I kind of hope that we, we get to a point where they're all like that. Yeah. We're like, oh, they just, they all have full rear subframes that you just bolt in. You're ready yeah. to go. Cause then you, you know? don't have, cause that's the worst is when someone loses because of not being able to fix the car in five minutes or whatever, especially yeah. when you could tell they just needed like another 30 seconds or a minute to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely happens more often than it should. Yeah. Um, Speaking of RTR, I, just because I haven't had a chance to really talk to anybody about this yet, what do you think the implications are of Chelsea Denofa retiring? Like, he's uh, one of, like, the first kind of, like, I guess, big name that we've seen walk away in, I mean, obviously, JR left and stuff like that, but it, I don't know if it felt the same. Yeah, Maybe well, he said he was coming me. back. He was just temporarily leaving, so it wasn't like he fully left. Yeah, um, like, died left. I mean, that was definitely huge, but I, I don't think most people... This is, is this the first time somebody's left on top, like retiring with a championship and be like, I'm out? I would think so. I'm trying to think of it. I mean, unless like, uh, I can't remember way back, like when, like uh, or Sammy or Tanner. Or like I can't remember. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Uh, have- <laughs> well, Hubenet kept driving cause he had the charger later. So, or, so he wouldn't have done it when he went out right. on top. Uh, Reese went out like in 2012. So I don't think he went out on top. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, I guess. Because of COVID, you could say James Dean did because he wasn't able to come back or whatever. Yeah, but, that's fair. But it wasn't like a retirement. Like, we were all yeah, expecting sure. it, it right? It wasn't retirement, but he did go out on top. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Tanner. I can't remember. I'd have, I'd have to look back because that's one I can't think of if he won a championship and then was gone the next year or not. Yeah. But he also came back partly a season with the... Uh, hey, he did a couple of runs. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is probably a huge one. I mean, who knows? Maybe he does come back in five, ten years too. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be huge because he's one of those style guys. Like, when we came up with, like, the X Factor, like, it was kind of because you have drivers like uh, Chelsea, Forrest, JTP, uh, Piotr, who, like, 
they can throw really good runs if they want to be conservative, but they don't. They always threw caution to the wind and were like, I'm doing it for the fans. Like, this is it. Like, I know it'll either make me or break me and it's going to hurt me probably more than it helps me, but I'm yeah. still going to keep doing it. Because like a good example is Piotr and Dean. Like, they're both equally talented. Right? Like, Dean is just so precise and everything. But if you, some of the rounds you'd watch the two of them, Piotr just had a little bit more, I don't know if you want to call it soul or excitement with it, but like yeah. he would be one of those people that would give that, but he was a little bit more like edgy. But, but he was still equally good. So it's like we started thinking like, man, what if you put down this like flawless run, but it's just a little bit dry and there could be a little bit more to make it exciting. Like mm-hmm. that's why we're like, man, it's tough to give out a hundred when you know someone could go out there and do the same run and just put a little bit more oomph on it and make it just that extra X. So we were like, man, if we make 90 the new bar and that's just a perfect flawless run with no excitement and then you can throw on that excitement. Let's say you threw on a little bit, let's say you threw on 10 points of excitement, but you missed like an inner clip by like a couple of feet, like two feet. So mm-hmm. you might not get a hundred, but you might get like a 95 or 96 or 97 because you missed two, three points, whatever at the clip. Like that should reward more than the person who took just, I get the one is precise, but the excitement and danger level of really thrown into the wall or something like that should carry a little bit more oomph than the playing cautious. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we came up with that idea of having it go there was because it just kind of put like that exclamation point on a perfect run or near perfect. Hmm. Yeah, I think back to like JTP's perfect run where like it was perfect in precision, but also like perfect in in insanity. Yeah. Like you just, you thought he was going off track every single turn yeah. and you thought he was going to crash every single turn. Yeah. But meanwhile, he's, you know, just trading paint with every clipping point. Yeah. And I feel like Piotr and Chelsea were kind of right there with that. Like that's how they throw down runs. Like yeah. any run could be the one that they do perfect, but it's really rare. But when it happens, it's perfect. I, I do hope this like opens up maybe the door to other drivers, like when it comes to personality wise, like yeah. maybe, maybe it's like an indication to them to like, okay, this big personality in the sport is, is stepping away. Is this now my turn to, to come in and do something, you know, or, or be that person or whatever. Yeah. I wish we had more rivalries and stuff. I miss the old days of like JTP, Daigo, JR, and then like, like we could have like really accelerated up, like hyping that up. And I, I don't know if FD wanted to, or if they tried and the, those partners didn't want to or sponsor for some of these drivers, but yeah, like, I feel like if we could do that a little bit more, man, people would just be over the top. Like, I would love to see it where you go like the NASCAR racing out in the parking lot at like Irwindale or Rotowana. You see all these flagpoles that people park on, and then you see like the flags of the driver number or their whatever. Like, you'd see like what's your twenty five. You'd see like Osbo one fifty one. Like, you'd see all these numbers out in the parking lot, and it'd be cool to like see the rivalries of what people have and everything. Yeah, like I know. Oh man, I same thing. I can't. Damn, I can't say anything. There's. There's things that I've asked for that may help with that. Okay, good. I think that's the only way to put it. Like, yeah. there's things that I think, from a purely coverage and media standpoint, that maybe the sport is missing that would aid, fortunately and unfortunately, in rivalries that we just don't have right now. Yeah. So I think you and I are going to have like a 30 minute catch up at the end of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, do like wrestling, get the guys where they like talk trash to each other right before they go to battle. Like it'd be cool if we had like a little box they could go into right before yeah. they go on and just like, I'm going to sp- smoke you. I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to be all of you to like, if they could just trash talk and then get in the cars and drive. Yeah. I think, I think that'd be, I think that'd be kind of neat or just like have the ability to be able to express their feelings in a more timely manner yeah. or in a more official capacity. Yeah. No, that would be cool. Right. So yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I go back to like, what if we force Stuky and Denofa to have an interview? Yeah. What if that, what if that, that's something that had to happen? Yeah. Like you're obligated to do that. What, what would the rest of that season look like? Oh, what yeah. if, 
what if Dean Carney and Kazuya Taguchi had to do a post-race of like yeah. interview? That whole that whole thing got completely blown Man, over. New Jersey was just wild. New Jersey was insane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like shadowing Lorette during that whole thing too. Like, yeah. so I was like on the ground, and I'm like, "Why is Kazuya Taguchi sprinting into Dean Carney's pits right now?" Like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I but mean, yeah, I think I think more of those stories. Like, we just don't have the time to do it. Yeah, if we That's could get it. a behind the scenes show like they do for some of these other sports, like Dude. F1, like the fans would just be open up to some more. Like, it'd be great. Yeah, I I would absolutely love to see like a drive to survive for FD. I think it would be nuts. I think you would see a lot of the the smaller guys get a lot more fanfare. I think it'd be so much cooler to like you know see in the pits of some of these guys and how they put stuff together. You know, an Alec Robbins, a, a Taylor Hall, a Jeff Jones, whoever. Yeah. Like go through some of the guys that that have maybe struggled this season or don't have a huge media or cult following and like just show who they are as personalities because they're they're wild. Yeah, like we, no, it, we see a little bit of. We see a little bit of like Jeff Jones, right? Like, cause he yeah. kind of does it during the intros. But like, I don't think people realize how much of a psycho Alec Robbins can be. <laughs> like, when that guy gets mad, he is one of the most insane drivers you've ever seen. Right. right? Like, yeah. I mean, that in the most like respectful. I love Alec. Yeah. I love, I love, but like, I've seen him mad and drive and it's wild. So, but really like, you just need to talk trash to him before he gets in a car if you're on I his do, team. I, like, I just spotters should just get on the thing and just talk trash. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I think stuff like that would be kind of cool or like, Understanding like the note taking that that spotters have and how different those are from the guys oh, from you yeah. know to like you know like Nate Chen with like a whole spreadsheet document to then you know like Dean Carney's guys who just I I feel like just kind of like keep it in their heads and then tell Dean some stuff like everyone's got a different style yeah. and it works for them but like breaking that down would be so neat oh yeah no totally like I love sitting up there when we do spotters up and just looking at people's papers and what they're doing and, and seeing like how they the different they cameras do. oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh, yeah. some people say, like, the hand the other cam? ones with like the, the old people iPads like they're holding yeah. like it's just funny <laughs> to watch all the variety of things and like but I like to uh, see like what they think's important like some people time it some people do this They do, like it's just it's a variety and some people's might work better than others and Maybe yeah. the driver just wants that, but yeah. That'd be, that'd be like a whole cool YouTube series where just like every week you like talk to a spotter and like follow them around and like, what do they do? What's the spotter's job? What are they saying? Yeah. Right? Like I've heard what how Reese speaks to to Denofa and it's mm-hmm. some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. Oh, what you missed is uh, back when Stonebeck used to run, uh, his spotter was Daniel Popovich. He used to talk so much trash to him on the thing. <laughs> he, he, I remember one time we were at, I think it was Seattle or something. The bathrooms were right below the stands and we had gone in there real quick after like a break or something. And he's just in the bathroom on the headset just yelling at him. And they're just <laughs> yelling back and forth. And it's hilarious because they're like really good friends, but like they were just bickering at each other. Like, and again, that's Northeast. So that's kind of the yeah. vibe. But, but yeah, like other times you'd have a, uh, there's uh these drivers this driver doesn't drive anymore but like his wife or girlfriend at the time was like giving him advice and like everything's like, oh no you're doing great work. and then finally i remember one of the other spotters grabbing the headset off her head and said no this is where you're messing up and just told the truth because and i think that's the hardest thing like when i watch a husband or girlfriend husband or wife whatever team work together like when they can make it work kudos to them because yeah. a lot of them just fluff them and, and give them false information and then you'll look at the other spotters and they're just like staring like what are you telling him but like I remember the one time they just took the headset off and said no this is what you're doing wrong I can't watch you do this like yeah. you need to fix this 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 and this and they were like oh thank you I think I vaguely remember who that is but anyways yeah, yeah, we, talk no, about, we talk afterwards but yeah 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 <laughs> um, no I, I, I do think it'd be cool I think it'd be neat even just the teams to start producing more of that content more of that media yeah. I mean some of the best Clips are like the radio chatter. Yeah, I think guys started, 
I think Forsberg started dropping those and everything. Like people love that yeah. on F1 and NASCAR. Like it's great. I think yeah. it'd be cool if we could start having people rent the radios just like at NASCAR where you can listen in on the team comms and hear what they do. Like uh, the scanners, whatever. Yeah. That'd be wild. I, <laughs> I've, I've been privy to a few things that, yeah, I don't know if we should be doing that. But oh, come on. Yeah, dude, I watch, I watch F1 and I'll like, I, I'm one of those nerds who will have like the main race up and then like on a second screen, I'll be flipping through drivers. Yeah, see? Yeah. Just like listening in to like what the calls are and stuff like that. Or I'll go back and watch the race and check a moment. Like in, in uh, Vegas where like the, the manhole cover came up, I watched every single driver, their, their lap when that happened to understand what the hell happened. Cause yeah. it's like, I have access to it. Why don't I use it? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Sick. Well, um, cool. Is there anything else you want to cover? We're like an hour and 45 in, man. I know uh, you and I could do like three oh, yeah. more of these. I mean, there's so much more history and everything we could talk about. It's fun. I just want people to know like, drifting's been going on in the US for a long time. Like, there was another event this year that someone was advertising as the first all-girls drift comp. And I like went out and tried to like, hey, this really isn't. It happened for a while. So, uh, yeah. Nadine used to do one in the West Coast, I think, 03, 04, uh, no, Drifting no Drift Kitchen Girls are great. It wasn't them yeah. putting this event. It was somebody else. I wanted to oh, do okay. one with them, though, and do an all-girls comp. So yeah. hopefully, maybe we can make that happen this year. But this other group was claiming they were doing the first one in the U.S. And I'm like, no, it's there's been multiple ones that happened for several years. <laughs> but it was an all-girls drift team out. And actually, Nadine was at Irwindo. I think I saw her have a booth. But it was mm. called Drifting Pretty. And I think oh, cool. she won the first one. And I can't remember if she won the other ones, too. But yeah, they used to have all-girls drift comps. Like, this is nothing new. This has all happened before. Problem is, a lot of people don't want to hit Google and search for things. And a lot of it also is, is, like I said before, hidden away deep in message boards that got kind of faded away or whatever. So it stinks, but there's lots and lots of history. If you can think of it, chances are somebody's done it or whatever. And that's the hard part of like trying to evolve and, and come up with ideas and concepts that haven't been done yet because it's really hard to, to reinvent stuff and make things fresh. Well, maybe I'll have to start doing some more history episodes. We'll do some some like yeah, Forsberg's, properly produced. Forsberg's a wealth of knowledge too. Like I used to yeah. love when he would do the... Uh, Maximum Driftcast podcast and just fix every mistake they would make and call them out like, nope, this was wrong in this episode. This was wrong in this. And I'm like, yes, because I remember it too. So yeah, no, it's good. I Trust me, if I say anything wrong, it's like a matter of two to three hours after the show comes out, someone's DM me or message me. I like, which I'm like, hey, cool, correct me. I'll, yeah. I'll, I can't redact it, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll make sure I don't spread misinformation anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like we had a children's drift book in like, Oh, six or seven, I think, or whatever. You could probably still buy it on Amazon. But and funny thing, it's got a picture of Matt Martin. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, it was a green 240. He ran an FD, I think, in 05, 06. Okay. Uh, with Cooper Tires or whatever. But yeah, like it's his on the cover or whatever. And it's like a bunch of US drift cars and then like D1 cars. But like, yeah, children's book for drifting way too early. Like if I'd done it now, I'd probably make money. Yeah. Hindsight's <laughs> <laughs> 2020, right? Yep. Exactly. Sick. Well, dude, I really appreciate this. I'm excited no to uh, to hang out again soon. Yeah. Um, I think you and I, neither you and I, got the invite to Japan, so we're, we'll, we just did this I, instead. I, I did, but it was Thanksgiving, and I'm like, uh, <sighs> uh, I mean, I do want to go to Japan again, but I was like, oh, if it wasn't for the holidays, like I would do it. So that's fair. That's fair. I'm well, happy to be home, but I got, it looks I got, like it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I got a bunch of time to put in before I get to take those trips. Some, you know, maybe year four, maybe year five, something like that. Yeah, I mean, really it took trips. me a while to go. I missed out on a bunch. Yeah, that's all good. But I mean, this will come out right before that event. So, oh, cool, perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I wish everybody luck quick. at the RSR festival then. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm I'm excited, and I hope that opens the doors to a lot of new things. Yeah, I so, hope so too. Yeah, sick. Awesome. Well, for everybody uh, listening at home, appreciate it. Uh, do you want me to put your socials on? Nah. I mean, I don't care. There's not much to watch on there. I mean, they can. I don't care. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll do something. We'll okay. Do something. Yeah. I mean, it, it's whatever. 
Yeah. There, well, there, for, there won't be that much drifting on my personal one, but yeah. If you want to watch the other stupid stuff I do, you, then yeah, you, go for it. You tell me what links you want on there. I'll, I'll support whatever. So sure. um, All right. maybe we'll throw some Drift Appalachia videos on there. So. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Sick. Well, for everybody listening at home, thank you so much. For everybody watching, also appreciate it. And uh, thank you, Brian, for for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm, ex- I'm excited for more conversations. Yeah. We, well, stay on after because yeah, like, we got go. some stuff to cover. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> See you. All right.